Conventional conventionists, thanks for tuning your dial to Time Warp Radio, the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie by minute podcast, where with each seven minutes, bah, 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 we, we can, can make, make you a fair. I'm Haley Mervini. And I'm Katie Tomney. And we are your resident criminologists on all things Rocky Horror. Our timestamps this episode our minute 56.10 to we're finally breaking the hour mark, which I can't believe we're already... I know. We're already at the hour mark. We're getting so close to the end. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it yet. Um, we're, we'll be uh, ending the segment at hour 1, minute 3, second 33. Um, which will pick us back up where we left off with Janet reconsidering her options at the castle and ending with probably the most identifiable moment of the movie, but we'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is probably my favorite part of the movie. I would definitely say it's, like, one of the funnest moments of the movie. It's where you get to, like, really get those, like, belly laughs in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we join voyeurs, Columbia, and Magenta in watching some friendly hands giving some much-needed action in the track touch a touch a touch me And it wouldn't be a Janet episode without profiling the woman we all, or maybe I should specify I, idolize. Susan Sarandon. <sighs> I have hard eyes right now. <laughs> They're just... I want you guys to know that I spent about maybe three hours just watching Susan Sarandon interviews. Not even specifically Rocky Horror interviews, but like just her talking mm-hmm. in general this mm-hmm. week while I was doing research. I just mm-hmm. couldn't help mm-hmm. myself. No, I don't blame you. <sighs> I Like any current susan information that comes out i want to devour like uh last year she listed her apartment in new york (laughs) for sale that she'd been living in for like most of her adult life and adult career and then i don't know where she's moving now but it was like a oh my gosh gorgeous gorgeous apartment in chelsea and really beautiful modern apartment just you know like the exact apartment that i would love to live in one day <laughs> it was um, only what 11 million you know a cool yeah or right? like maybe it might have been like we may have oversold it, it might be only 8 million <laughs> <laughs> she would hang all of her like certificates and like her diplomas and her award like uh certificates in her bathroom So that she kind of had a sense of humor about it of like, okay, everyone that goes into my bathroom is going to see all of my achievements. (laughs) But I mean, if there's any room in your house that all of your guests go to at least once, it's the bathroom. (laughs) But then it's also like she keeps it near the toilet. So she's like, 
You got something yeah, to read. Yeah, whatever. It's in, I know it's important, <laughs> but like, I don't, we don't need to look at it all you the time. You don't need Reader's Digest by the toilet when you have, you know, your uh, Academy <laughs> Awards over there. Yes. Yeah, she has all of her, like, all of her uh, Emmy Award stuff and everything is in there. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, we'll get to her. This is just the beginning of the episode. Uh, we again left off with Rocky and Janet in the tank. Uh, Rocky smiles at Janet and a new expression crosses over her face. We get a voiceover from the criminologist before we even cut back to him in, uh, in his study. Emotion. Agitation or disturbance of mind. What? Question. Why does he need to define the word emotion? And not just that, he's put it in the Denton affair. So he's like, yeah, well, okay. So the ticker tape underneath it that labels it, it's just like so bizarre because like what human would need to cut out a dictionary definition and then explain what that definition is. Yeah. Especially when it's emotion. Like I think you and I understand what emotions are, but maybe if criminologist is not of this galaxy (laughs) then he needs it kind of laid out for him because it's maybe not a trait transylvanians express yeah uh the ticker tape says dictionary definition of emotion it was this feeling to which janet weiss is said to have become enslaved it's a very human trait yeah because like as a species we think that we're so intelligent that we're able to identify our emotions but like we're only as good as how we can communicate those emotions Mm -hmm. because of that too we think we're so good at communicating to each other and (laughs) brad and janet not always so much the case they're illustrating exactly what can happen when you um don't know what to say to each other (laughs) We get a question mark mechanical wipe into an ultra close frame on Krim. He continues, It is also an irrational and powerful master. And from what Magenta and Columbia eagerly viewed on the monitor. And at that point, we heart shape mechanical wipe into what the screenplay says is Columbia's room. So... I think, yeah, then it's Columbia's room, but it, I think it could, you brought up, too, that it might be the room she shares with Magenta. Yeah, I think it might be the girl's room. Yeah, because there's also, like, no bed really in there. Yeah, it's just kind of that, like, lounge seat that they're sharing. Yeah, and they just kind of hang out in there all the time as opposed to... With the boys. Yeah, I don't know if Magenta and Riff and, like, if Transylvanians in general sleep... You know, like this might just be a really busy evening for them where Riff and Magenta are up all night cleaning because they had a party or they just don't usually sleep. And that's why we don't see a whole lot of beds anywhere in the castle other than the three beds that we saw in the last segment. Mm -hmm. Magenta is sitting on the sofa with Columbia on her right painting her toenails. She's taken off one of her stockings Mm -hmm. for her to be able to paint some 
red toenail polish on. <laughs> and they're like, why are they, why do you think they're watching this? Did they just like, were they flipping through the TV monitor and they happened to land on Rocky and the Tank and Janet and they're like, oh, oh pay-per-view softcore porn. Great. Love Dude, it. <laughs> totally. Because like, these are the gossip queens for sure. And we'll, we'll, Chismo says. we'll prove that <laughs> later on because we, we found some proof of they need to know everything that's All going on with everyone. Yeah. Or do you think they were like assigned to find Janet? No, nah. Frank doesn't know what's happening. Frank is still. Frank doesn't care. Somewhere else in the castle, probably with Brad. Behind Magenta and Columbia is this pewter statue mm-hmm. of uh, two like kids two girls playing leapfrog yeah and there's a bunch of like recreations of this online yeah it's like someone hunched over like sideways almost like they're they're leaning forward bending in half but they're facing like left to right in it's the not statue. the right orientation to do a normal leapfrog yeah but that's how it is in like every single iteration of this statue that we could find where one person was sideways and the other person is leaping over them with their legs like splayed so yeah, very I weird don't... i don't know and i couldn't find any information on like where this type of statue originated but there's a ton of them and magenta and columbia have also just had a costume change it's PJ time. Yeah, we've avoided talking about Magenta's costume because we're going to talk about it when we get to her episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but Columbia's changed into her blue and white striped PJs. Yeah. With her Mickey Mouse Honestly, ears. Honestly, have to admit, this is my favorite costume of the entire show <laughs> because I'm so comfortable. But on the same line, I will go ahead and say cheat sheet if you are a Columbia. The change is really quick. From your PJs into your floor show stuff. So when you put your PJs on, put your floor show on underneath. Ding, ding, ding. That's such a good idea. I, do, I never think about that because... You can't as Janet. There's no, no way to do it. <laughs> There's no way to uh, preset for yeah. floor show. The that's only why Columbia is always the first person out. That's <laughs> so right. easy. Yeah, I just preset the, the black satin underwear mm-hmm. um because otherwise no yeah there and same Janet thing with said yeah both of them get medusa in skivs so there's like you just have crim's monologue to change over it's so fast but that's such a good idea to yeah do columbia's get the easiest time I and mean, then also it's like you know 1 a.m 1 30 <laughs> and now you're in pjs and you're uh. like Ah, this is exactly what I want to be doing on a Saturday night is like hanging out in my PJs. <laughs> At Chaos for our anniversary show, we do what we call con casting, uh, where you get multiple people to play each role. So like you'll have one Columbia do the time warp section, you'll have one Columbia do the pajamas section, and then you'll have another Columbia do um the floor show and with it'll the be that way. Mask yeah, it'll be that way with each of the characters. And those are always my favorite nights, and I always volunteer myself to do PJ Columbia so I can just hang out in my PJs all night. Best best night of the year. Well, it's also, I think of Tetcha as Janet's number because it is her number, but it's almost equally as much Magenta and Columbia's number. They have just as many lyrics and bits of camera time mm-hmm. that 
like, yeah, as a Columbia performer, you must also love performing Tetcha. Oh, I do. Yeah. And it's so fun to kind of get into that sisterly mood. I always think of it as like, so I know a lot of people are like, oh, lesbian sex, magenta and Columbia. We'll get to that. But in my mind, it was always like, this is my sister. We're watching like Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> it's all the gossip that we need. And we're just like totally bagging on whoever's on screen. Like that's always what it was to me where it's like you just get to hang out with your gal pal. Mm -hmm. And so you get to buddy up with your magenta, and it's so much fun, especially when it's somebody that you have a close bond with. So it's one of my favorite scenes in general, as as a Janet or a Rocky or a (laughs) Columbia, honestly. So much fun. I love Tatcha. Yes. And magenta, while while Columbia is painting her toes, she has a hairdryer, which... I'm like, why is she blow-drying her hair? Because it's dry. But then it's also like, she could be blow-drying her fingernails mm-hmm. or her toenails as they're getting painted. It's makeover night. They're doing their hair. They're doing their nails. <laughs> you never know. You know, we had visitors earlier, and now we're going to put on masks. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have Krim kind of stepping into more of an active narrator Mm-hmm. role going forward for the rest of the movie we kind of had a break from crim going back and forth to crim is so disorienting because you remember that there's a larger linear narrative that you're like oh yeah i'm supposed to be following along with <laughs> what's happening and why the crim is uh going over this with us his voiceover continues as Magenta and Columbia, we now get their POV of Janet and Rocky. On the television On the screen. television screen. There seemed to be little doubt that Janet was indeed its slave. Whether or not he is a human, he is throwing shade to the human species that we become such slaves to our emotions and become... Uh, you know, temperamental, moody, um, uh, the range of how, like, our <laughs> our hormones can affect us. I also, Krim doesn't particularly reference them often by name other than Brad and Janet. Yeah. Like, now he references Magenta and Columbia. But for the most part, it's he really only calls people by their name when it's Brad and Janet. Right. Because, okay, if we're thinking that Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott have given their testimonies, nowhere in any of their testimonies would you know that Magenta and Columbia are observing Mm -hmm. Janet in this scene. They never give their names in their testimonials from what we can see. Right. Like, even if they did, Janet would be saying, like, oh, yeah, I hooked up with the mystery, mystery man in the tank. And Brad would be like, yeah, I went around with Frank trying to find Riff, and then we went up the elevator into the lab. Like, They don't interact very much with Columbia and Magenta. So it's a little, it's a little sus yeah. that Krim uh, knows He's their names. He's familiar with them. Yeah. 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 And that he was able to, like, I don't know how he would be able to know that they're watching. Otherwise. Yeah. Because Columbia wouldn't tell, and Magenta is gone at the end of the movie. (laughs) So neither of them would have said to any of them at any of the points, you know? Just saying. Just saying. Janet could think 
clearly and rationally about the events of this evening. She could go and try to find Brad. She could try to escape and just like run out the front door. And I mean, <laughs> Dr. Scott's on his way. So like she might have even, she could have even run into him on the way out. Yeah. Spoiler, um, he's, he's literally about to show up. Yeah. <laughs> But instead, she decides that she wants to find a blonde man with a tan who's good for relieving some sexual tension. And she just lets her id take over to, like, yeah. you know, do what Frank is is asking them to keep doing, which is giving themselves over to absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... There are a series of options which Mm -hmm. janet could take and there's the one which takes her out of the castle back to the car back to denton back to her normal life normalcy yeah and then there's the side where she gets to explore and she keeps choosing the side where she gets to explore which i think gives us a little more background onto who janet is as a person i know and it's that's such a good point to make because when we meet her in Damn It Janet, she's conservatively dressed. She barely says anything. Mm-hmm. Um, she won't even tell Brad she loves him. Yeah, she's very much like, I'll let you take the lead, honey. You take the the uh, lead vocals on this song. And when she has to respond to getting engaged, it's a lot of like, oh, cool, I'm glad this is happening. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what's next? That's kind of, like, her feeling (laughs) in that song, whereas she's coming into Touch Toucha and has awakened something. Uh, we cut back to Columbia and Magenta. They say, tell us about it, Janet. (laughs) (laughs) And... Is Janet just not invited to this girl's sleepover? It's so rude. Like, it, they, they look like they're having a fun time. I mean, Janet also looks like she's having a fun time, but... They could have just invited her. Yeah. Columbia could have thrown that robe at her and been like, Hey, by the way, meet in my room later for makeovers. Yeah, or, okay, do you think Columbia feels, uh, I don't know if, like threatened is the right word but does she feel territorial maybe because i mean i think i mentioned before that her and magenta seem to be friends but maybe friends because of the situation where that's the only other woman that is available for her to be friends with, where it's like, oh, well, I guess this is the only other girl here, so I guess we're going to be best friends. So maybe on one hand, it's a little territorial of like, well, this is my spot. I'm Frank's groupie. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, this is my place. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, maybe not. Maybe it's like, well, I wish I could be friends with her, but I don't know. She seems a little weird. She's an outsider. Maybe Columbia doesn't really know the full extent of the experiment or why Brad and Janet are really there. Maybe she's not allowed to bring Janet in. Yeah, or even to know. She may be kept at an arm's distance with Magenta and Riff's rocket plan, and, like, she's given the loose, yeah, we're building a man 
Frank is working on the creation of life, but, like, doesn't give her the real whys to mm-hmm. anything. And, like, yeah, we had two new people arrive to the castle today. I mean, That's just kind of the reality be, now, Columbia. Like, Frank has pulled her to the side and told her, there might be other people that come in. Don't talk to them. Don't interact with them unless I've told you to. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he's asserting dominance. Yeah. I like that idea that Frank takes Columbia to the side and is like, listen, you're my girl. Okay? Don't don't you worry. We have matching... <laughs> matching... Uh, we're both sparkly. We're both sparkly. <laughs> well, okay. So, like, yeah, you referenced earlier that this is totally lesbian fodder like everybody always is like oh it's the lesbian scene i just want to know if janet stumbled upon columbia and magenta instead of stumbled upon rocky could she have just as easily hooked up with columbia and magenta and been like oh i was feeling done in and then columbia and magenta were like cool let's teach you the wonders of masturbation and female sex one can only hope that that's what would happen, honestly. We just need an alternate reality uh, Rocky Horror, like, if-then <laughs> style, where it's, like, every right turn they took, like, what would have happened if they'd turned left? Yes. And just how we could still get to the same place, but just how the the decisions could have just been a little different. <laughs> oh, so fun. Make it, like, Clue. Have uh, multiple endings. Yes. <laughs> and Janet is effectively singing this track. I mean, to Rocky, because that's who she's making eye contact to. But who she's having a dialogue with in this number is Magenta and Columbia. Yeah. Without her awareness. Yeah, but, you know, that's <laughs> <Of course>. fine. <laughs> but that's so interesting to me. Yeah, I, I have always really loved kind of the... The, like, playfulness of this scene where it's... Because this, to me, feels like, look at me, I'm Sandra D from mm-hmm. Greece. This whole scene reminds me of that, where it's mm-hmm. like, she left the room, now we're going to make fun of her. Mm. Okay, look I get what you mean. Look at me, I'm Sandra D. You know? Yeah. Like, it's very much like, Sandy left, she won't even let us pierce her ears. Let's make fun of her. Oh my god, look, she's on TV, hooking up with the creation. Yeah. I get what you mean. That movie, too, is all about losing your virginity. Yes, it is. What were people just repressing? (laughs) (laughs) A lot. Still. We're we're still repressing a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. Slaves to our emotions, people. Slaves to our emotions. Um, But okay, let's get into what I am so excited to talk about. (sighs) The lovely... And incomparable Susan Sarandon. (sighs) I say incomparable, meaning so many comparisons of her are actively made all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I could not imagine as an actor creating something for someone to then, 45 years later, (laughs) meticulously observe and try to recreate recreate to such a uh like i try to get every eyeball glance i try to get every 
lip lick. I try to get everything that she does because it contributes to Janet's awakening mm-hmm. as a character. Mm-hmm. I think Susan's performance is... And she is just chef's kiss all over the place. She's incredible. And you really root for her. Yes. As a heroine. Like you, she's soft and sweet and innocent and she wins you over. I would even say you root for her as the heroine more than you root for Brad as the hero. Mm-hmm. I have always felt more of a connection like, on a deep level to Janet's character. Mm-hmm. Brad is fun, and Barry is... Mm, Barry. Yeah. I love him to pieces. Yeah. But there's just something about being a woman and watching a woman on screen find herself that, like, you just root for her. Yes. As a viewer, you identify with her so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, Janet leaves it all out on the table. She doesn't know that she's being observed in Tetra and is being very candid and very earnest yes. Yes, about her lack of experience. And that's hard to open up about. And yeah, totally. I too, well, I didn't see this scene the first time that I watched Rocky Horror, but then <laughs> Thanks, when- Thanks, Catholic mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I did finally watch it, I- was like, oh, no wonder I loved Janet. Like, no wonder I've loved her so far. This song is, oh my gosh. Ah, ah, ah. We haven't even gotten into the profile of the song. I just think that her in this scene sells Janet as a character. Mm -hmm. Susan Sarandon was born in 1946 in New York and was 28 at the time of filming. She's the eldest of nine kids. Yes. So she has four brothers and four sisters. Can you imagine? She's the oldest. She's like second mom. Well, okay. She grew up in New Jersey uh, with her father. His name's Philip Leslie Tomlin. He was an advertising executive, TV producer, and nightclub singer. So that's totally how... She, be- she got into the industry. Or at least was interested in the industry. Mm-hmm. But you said big family. Um, she attended the Catholic University of America. So, yes. Very, very religious growing up. Uh, kind of fell away from religion, but definitely was very, very much into it when she was growing up. Yeah. Well, okay, but she went and she went to school for drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, She supported herself during this time by cutting hair, cleaning houses, and working as a switchboard operator. We love a self-supporting woman. (laughs) This woman held three jobs while in college to pay for college herself. How? Can you believe? Uh, I just, everything I hear about her makes me fall in love with her more and more because, yeah, like, you do what you have to do. And I love thinking that she worked menial jobs and then found a break and then has had such an illustrious career Mm -hmm. since. Um, She met her then would-be husband, (laughs) Chris Sarandon. A.K.A. Prince Humperdinck. From The Princess Bride. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I also love that movie. And when I realized that's who that was, I was like... Oh, 
he's so charming and no. well i mean he's awful as a character <laughs> no he's he's like kind of dopey as a villain Ugh. you know um, at least he's not the six-fingered man right he's not the evil one in princess bride he's the one that like uh wesley talks out of attacking him <laughs> like he's not that he's a charming guy and i was and and then it's like oh that's sweet because oh they're a cute couple and they were together for a while yeah yeah they were married in 67 and divorced in 1979 uh she did keep susan sarandon as mm-hmm. her stage name because her career had started with sarandon so it'd be kind of weird to have I don't know, like six or seven movies under your belt as Susan Sarandon and then change it back to Tomalin. Like that's, eh, nah, we'll just keep it as Sarandon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after they got divorced, she became romantically involved with a few different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who could not fall under her spell? Seriously, like gorgeous, gorgeous woman. And just her, she just does so... those like sensual eyes where she just bats her eyelashes a couple of times and kind of like looks down demurely and (laughs) well not only that but she is so intelligent and Mm well-spoken and like when you watch her in interviews she is just so present Mm -hmm. and so like mindful and so uh, like you can't help but fall in love with her just from watching her and uh her romantic Conquests included <laughs> Louis Mai, Male, Male, Male. He's a French director. I, I wish that I could French. tell you how to pronounce his name, but I don't speak French. Listen, I'm working <laughs> on it. Come back to me in a year. We'll see how, how much I've practiced. He uh, actually directed Pretty Baby and Atlantic City, which were starring Susan. So um, it was like a muse yes. relationship. Um, and then she also dated David Bowie for a period. Another one of my loves. And then more recently was attached to Sean Penn, right? Yeah. Okay. But is she married now? Mm-mm. She's single? Mm-hmm. Hey, Susan, call me. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1969, Susan and Chris as a married couple, went to her, one of her first, like, big auditions, uh, casting call for the movie Joe, and she was cast in a major role. Chris was actually passed over for it, and this is kind of how she got her big break. She also appeared in two soap operas uh, from 1970 to 1972, A World Apart and Search for Tomorrow. Her next big project was a little, little film called The Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, just our favorite of her well is it my favorite of her movies <laughs> i don't Hard to say i'm on the fa- i think it's probably is it your favorite of her movies i i would say it's probably my favorite thelma and louise coming right after though because that's all equally as culturally iconic and, and gay oh gosh <laughs> that oh my gosh if you think that thelma and louise is some alternate universe sequel of janet like mm. Fuck you, Brad. I'm going off and changing my name and living on the road with another lady. And we're going to say 
Screw the world. <laughs> um, in 1981, she starred in Atlantic City, that movie that we just said that her brother, that her muse director directed, <laughs> um, earning her her first Academy Award a nomination. Uh, she then later appeared in The Hunger, a modern-day vampire story in 1983, where she had a lesbian sex scene, which was very controversial at the time. Yeah, so... As much as people say that Rocky Horror is, like, this big, like, oh, it's so sexual, blah da 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 Susan has always been very much, like, really wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, what's really bad is having to rub your genitals against someone else and having someone's tongue shoved down your throat. I've done the whole fake sex scene thing. I did it with The Hunger, and Rocky Horror was nothing compared to that. That's, like... But talk about a through line in her career. She just keeps getting these, like, sexual awakening roles. She is a total sex symbol, dude. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people realize how many things that she's been in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I just watched an episode of Friends Mm -hmm. the other day with my roommate. She's in everything. Yeah, she literally... (laughs) She plays the... uh, soap opera actress Mm -hmm. that joey is waking up his character is coming out of a coma (laughs) yeah because he is getting a a brain transplant from susan sarandon's character perfect everything is rocky horror everything is rocky horror but yeah it's she so they spend the whole episode of her in that episode seducing joey i was just about to say doesn't she seduce joey (laughs) yes they have like a thing of like he's like i really want to do melanie proud or whatever her character's name is on friends (laughs) and she like sees him as totally genuine because sweet little joey and yeah they have a like morning after she comes out of the apartment in his like button-down shirt and it's like she can't get away from it it's like (laughs) No, you need to be sexy in this. Okay, but if you were that flawless looking, wouldn't you also mm. just want to show it off all the time? Because I would. Mm. She's glowing. Just, mm. Later on in uh, 1987, she starred in The Witches of Eastwick, along with Jack Nicholson, another one of Haley's favorites, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And she was nominated four more times for an Academy Award in the 90s for Thelma and Louise, Lorenzo's Oil, The Client, and Dead Man Walking. And I wish that we could tell you that we're giving you every single film or TV show that she's ever done, but we're barely scraping the surface. I Mm -hmm. mean, like, she has such an insane... Prolific. So crazy filmography. Her credits, yeah. It's, It's so good. And not only just her acting credits, but also the documentaries she's been in, the voiceovers she's done, Mm -hmm. everything. Like, she is incredible. (sighs) okay so this probably is my favorite movie of (laughs) all time is little women from 1994 directed by jillian armstrong um it also she is marmy uh and winona ryder play oh my gosh that whole movie is just perfect because it's winona ryder as joe and then you also have claire danes you have Christian Bale. Oh my gosh, I just, Christian Bale too is just so gorgeous. And everyone is in that movie. It's like all of. You'll recognize everyone. Literally every single person that's in it, you will be like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, yeah. Wait. 
okay. It's like that was the movie that like blew up every single person's career. I mean, besides Susan, because she was already really famous by then. But her in that movie, like, okay, I, I watched Little Women when I, like, some of my earliest memories are of watching Little Women and being like plopped down in front of a VHS, uh, TV combo player. <laughs> And just like watching Little Women on repeat, I was sh- I was shadow casting before I knew it. Like <laughs> I would watch it obsessively and look at what Winona Ryder was doing with her face. Look at Susan. Look at I think Trini, that that movie is at... where I fell in love with Winona Ryder though, because oh I watched it when I was really really little. I loved that book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I would read it over and over again as a kid. And Joe was always my favorite. And Winona Ryder is Joe. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, she's gorgeous. Wow, I love her. And I just completely was head over heels from like a really, really young age. Oh my gosh, Kristen Dunst. Yes. Is young Amy. And yeah, they're all gorgeous actresses. And then Susan Sarandon is their gorgeous, perfect, glowing mother <laughs> who is just like quippy and witty and strong and powerful and assertive and like Marmy's character is formidable Mm -hmm. and I didn't know I would fall in love with her as Janet (laughs) later in my life you know what I mean I just have always loved her always and I cannot (laughs) believe that I then found Rocky Horror you know what I mean like that then I ended up shadow casting her and while I wish we could talk about Little Women forever, um, unfortunately, this is not a Little Women podcast. It is not a yet, Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show podcast. So we must continue. <laughs> so Susan has also appeared on a ton of different TV shows, a lot of like little quick features, including The Simpsons, Friends, Malcolm in the Middle, Mad TV, Saturday Night Live, Chappelle's Show, 30 Rock a million other cameos that she's done and what i think is really funny is a lot of them she appears as herself yeah like she's so famous that she's made it into the universe of all of these different shows including the simpsons right she's just susan sarandon flawless and most recently she portrayed betty davis in feud the that was ryan murphy right yep the it's an fx anthology Another Ryan Murphy one. But I matched heads against Jessica Lange. We don't know how to say her last name either. We're having trouble with last names in this episode. I'm sorry about it, guys. Lange. (laughs) It could be any of them. But we should watch that. We should. I'd be down. Uh, I think it's really funny that she's been in so many different, like, movies and TV shows, though, because... She doesn't even own a TV. She doesn't watch TV. She said that she all she has is an iPad, and that's how she watches her shows and stuff, is she has to have someone else load them up on her iPad for oh her. Oh, my gosh. She and my mom have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just put these on there for me? I just need the HGTV on there. But, Can I mean, honestly, if I had her life, I wouldn't have the time how to learn all of that and how to find stuff on my iPad either because as much as we love her for being such an incredible and prolific actress, she's also an incredible activist. Yeah, she just doesn't have time 
for entertainment media no. anymore. She's like, no, 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 bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Yeah, she is uh, mainly known for her, like, progressive views and usually heavily supports leftist political causes, mm-hmm. uh, like Emily's List, an American PAC that aims to help to elect Democratic female candidates in favor of abortion rights to their whatever various office yeah so uh emily's list was actually founded in like the early 80s which i was really surprised to learn it seems like such a modern idea but Mm. really we've been fighting for this for i don't know 40 years (laughs) crazy she's appeared in like we said a, a ton of documentaries a few of those were uh the celluloid closet where she Uh, looked into how Hollywood films depict homosexuality. She was appointed the UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador in 1999, supporting global advocacy. And then in 2000, she appeared at the Shadow Convention in Los Angeles to speak about drug offenders being unduly punished. Mm -hmm. And then in 2004, she served on the Advisory Committee for Racism Watch, an activist group. Yeah, I mean, she's just done so many different things across the board. It's not like she's only focused on one thing. She really fights for the good of everyone. Uh, She became an advocate to end the death penalty and mass incarceration. She was a very early dissenter of the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Like, she's just everything, every single thing that she sees that's wrong, she is not afraid to speak up about. Hey, love her all the more for it. She she's always like taken a huge part of like protest walks mm-hmm. and um I believe she was actually protesting this year for Black Lives Matter. Yeah, she's definitely blacked out her Instagram. Yes. And is no longer active. She nope. doesn't post anything. In 2007, she appeared with Miles Robbins and Jane Fonda at an anti-war rally in Washington, D.C. in support of a congressional measure to withdraw U.S. forces from Iraq. Um, In 2010, she was appointed an FAO Goodwill Ambassador. Mm -hmm. In 2018, she participated in a rally against gun violence. She also was arrested that year during the Women Disobey protests uh, being held against Donald Trump's migrant separation policy. She's... Her and Jane Fonda are, like, honestly my idols, and (laughs) I only can hope that I age not only as gracefully, but as strongly as As they do. As much of a badass. Yeah, both of them are just such incredible women that are not afraid to stand up for what they believe in. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's been a pretty big Bernie Sanders supporter since 2016, but otherwise backs the Green Party, Mm -hmm. Democratic interests, and the like. Her filmography, like we said, has been huge, so it's kind of difficult to to find 
any of her opinions on Rocky Horror. Yeah, just because there are so many interviews. Like I said, I watched like three hours of Susan interviews just because I got sucked into a YouTube black hole. Well, also every interviewer, <laughs> I imagine at one point asks... Like one question. What was Rocky Horror like? Or what is it like now? What's your favorite scene? Are you embarrassed to show your kids? And it's like, no, my kids are adults. <laughs> They've all seen it. <laughs> well, not just that. She took... She's, like, famous for uh, a viewers yeah. of Rocky Horror. A lot of really <laughs> famous people were taken to their very first showing of Rocky Horror by Susan Sarandon, uh -huh. Janet herself. Uh-huh. Um, in one interview, she recalls taking Molly Ringwald in 1979 to a midnight showing. It was both of their first times at a midnight showing. Molly mm -hmm. Ringwald was 11. I cannot. And Susan said, of course, she dressed up as Janet. <laughs> <laughs> she also took her daughter, Natalie Portman, Lucas Haas, and Thora Birch to go see it at midnight as well. Over the years. She's no, just... like at once. Like it was they, that, that It was group. that group? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, could you imagine being that shadow cast and just like looking out in the audience and being like... <laughs> but it was them as like kids. Like it was like Thora Birch, Natalie Portman, and Lucas Haas like as children. And then Sarandon. Susan Sarandon. <laughs> but okay, that may well if she took her daughter, then that's like all of her daughter's friends. Probably. I think they were all working on a film together. Probably. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can believe it. I love that though. <laughs> oh my gosh. Looking out in the audience and being like, that looks a lot like Susan Sarandon. <laughs> and then like, you know, years later hearing that she went to it and just passing out. <laughs> Super recently, she did an interview with um, the Today Show, I believe it was, on like the 35th anniversary or something. It was the really cute one where it was like Barry and Susan and Meatloaf, Meatloaf and Pat and Tim all together. Um, <laughs> and Susan, of course, the interviewer asked her, do you do the time warp ever? And she said, yeah, I do it all the time. Everybody always asks me to do the time warp. I do it at weddings. I do it all, <laughs> like, all the time. Yeah, we have one video on the blog from, I think, the Time Warp episode where she gets interviewed and then Richard O'Brien comes out of nowhere and is like, <laughs> let's do the Time Warp together. And she's like, okay, and they do it. And of all of the elements of the movie, she was most nervous not to, you know, be naked practically on stage. She was nervous about singing. Yeah, she's <laughs> super, super self-conscious of singing. She even, like says herself that she has a phobia of singing, which is crazy because, yes, she's not a professional singer, but I wouldn't say she has a bad voice no. at all. I mean, she's definitely an actor singing in yes. this movie, as opposed to, like, a musical theater performer who's been trained forever. She was actually signed to do a different project during when this was supposed to be filming, um, but they were like, Oh no, like just just sit down and read the script with us. Just, you know, well just just read it with us. She said most of the other women who had been reading for Janet couldn't make her funny cuz mm. Janet's such a straight character. Mm -hmm. Like she's so like I'm I'm a goody two shoes. Blah, 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 blah. So it's hard to make that funny. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to ask anybody. It's hard to make that funny. Mm -hmm. But Janet just she felt connected with Janet. Like, on a different level. She was like, I, I felt like that was me. And so they loved her. As mm -hmm. soon as she read, they loved her. And they kind of 
coaxed a little bit of singing out of her like oh can you sing like twinkle twinkle little star and she was like um I guess (laughs) (laughs) do I have to is that a requirement (laughs) and she said she took the role because she assumed that once she got over to the UK they would give her drugs and alcohol and she'd get over a stage fright and everything would be fine (laughs) and then they didn't give her drugs and alcohol and she was really scared (laughs) and not just that she caught pneumonia yeah like she didn't have the most excellent filming experience, which she also kind of talks about now. Present day is like, yeah, it was a short indie film that was low budget and it was, the place was falling apart. So I got really sick and there was nowhere to get heated up. There wasn't even a bathroom on set. They had to like build a little screen room and put heaters in it. And then the screen room caught on fire because of the heaters in it. So then they lost their heat room Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was not the greatest time on set, but she overall, like, loved her experience mm-hmm. working on the film. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, you, you, we were talking about this earlier, that there's almost, like, a, a misperception that she, just because she doesn't do, like, the con events and does not actively do rocky horror stuff year after year like barry goes to cons pat goes to cons Mm -hmm. now tim is doing cons again that that means she hated her experience or that she hates that she was embarrassed of it or something but she's said it multiple times in interviews that she's not embarrassed she loves rocky horror she Mm -hmm. talks about rocky horror whenever anybody asks her about it Mm -hmm. she's quoted it wasn't uncomfortable I felt pretty dressed in a bra and a ripped half slip. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, I get what she's saying because I don't feel exposed at, uh, during Tetra. I just, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel naked. Yeah, because you've spent so much of it. Um, first you have the lab coat on, so you kind of get accustomed to, like, breezes. Breezes, yeah, and then... (laughs) Uh, the bedroom scenes happen and you're in the robe so it's more open and it's definitely feels like you're getting a very slow burlesque of undressing Janet to touch Tetra. She says Janet is quote the Saturday Night Live version of all the ingenues I'd been doing. She was kind of a version of myself because I'd been making films since I was 20 and it was a chance to do the ingenue with the twist. There's some part of you in everything. (laughs) Yeah, Janet is just so believable. Like, there is a heart to her character, and people who play her too straight or with not enough of the emotions that she... Like, some of them are subtle. Some of them are very dramatic. Um, Name the faints. (laughs) And Susan really does know how to make her funny. I think Janet is hilarious yeah and i would argue that like a shadow cast's success relies on a good janet at the core yeah it's fun to watch frank and it's fun to watch columbia and it's fun to watch all of it but i think janet is what adds stake to the whole scenario like Mm -hmm. a really high stake that if you have a I've experienced it as an audience member having a Janet who's like phoning in and thinks that you can just like 
be led around the stage and that Janet's just kind of there. And, and it like, just loses its fun. It's been where the rest of the cast is phenomenal and, like, I lose attention because you have to care that Janet is getting seduced by Rocky. And you have to care that her relationship is at stake. And you have to care that Frank is also possibly tearing apart her relationship, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, so yeah, and she... Maybe that's why we see Janet in all of Susan's other films, is it's just so true to her. Who she is. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from Susan is, Whatever that movie says, especially to lonely kids, has turned out to be something I'm quite proud of, because judging by my fan mail, strangely enough, I'll get fan mail from people who Thelma and Louise was like the grown-up next step for them to get out of their community. First, they start going to the Rocky Horror Show. Then Thelma and Louise got them to actually move. Don't Dream It, Be It is a great message. And at a time when kids are having some sexual ambiguity, it's like a club where you can go to and all the kids that are left out or don't know what they're doing or a little bit too odd to fit in in their high school, instead of having to do something violent, they can put on this outrageous garb and be accepted for who they want to be. She gets it. She does. And she's said it a million times. Whenever interviewers ask her, like, what is Rocky Horror to you? What do you think Rocky Horror did for the world? What do you think Rocky... Blah? It, her answer is always the same. Don't dream it, be it. That's the core message to her. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that she loves the material so much that that is what it means to her as well is something that people get tattooed on their bodies Mm -hmm. like don't dream it be it is a powerful statement and um i have i just have so many questions for her because (laughs) i love her so much so if she would ever like to talk to us um yeah susan if you're out there send us an email please We'd if love anyone to talk. knows her and wants to, <laughs> like, you know, hook it up. Hook it up. That'd be. I will promise to only Janet faint the one time at the beginning. At the beginning, and then I'll quickly resuscitate because I won't allow myself to miss it. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I will be present. Ah, <laughs> uh, and like so, Tacha Tacha is a bop. Absolutely. It is so much fun. It's like we we had this dark, heavy bedroom scenes, right? When we were discussing it last segment, you and I are going like, I can't believe we're talking about this for like two, two hours, hours. Because normally we're only watching the movie for an hour and 45 minutes and the creepy rapey parts are only seven minutes in the scheme of the entire opus. But I think Tatcha lends to us forgetting that it's there entirely yeah. and that we or kind of at least for- lifting us it. back out of that little hole that we got into for a moment. Yeah. That's where I think people also might take their bathroom breaks right in the middle of the show. Yeah. Or go get the or after Hot Patootie it's slowing down and you're like, okay, I'm gonna get a drink. And now you're back in the seats, 
you're excited to see Janet in her bra and panties and well and if I can remember correctly back from my Transylvanian days we always said that Brad's bedroom scene was the halfway point because all of us were exhausted. <laughs> so you get to that halfway mark and you're like, okay, I need to like sit down for a minute and just rest my eyes. Nope, I'm awake. I'm awake. Rest my eyes. No, I'm awake. And so I feel like that's kind of where everybody goes to during bedroom scenes is either the bathroom or trying to fight the sleep. <laughs> yeah, because they get reminded, oh, I could be in bed right now. I could, we're out really, really late. Um, but then Janet just is like a breath of fresh air. She has just been so emotionally distraught and is running to and from pieces of furniture <laughs> with various hands on her face. And she begins her, her number. <laughs> <laughs> We cut to the interior of the laboratory. Night. Touch a toucha, touch me. Uh, it was written lyrics and music by Richard O'Brien with musical arrangements by Richard Hartley in the key of A minor. Uh, the meat and potatoes of what the song is about is kind of playing with the trope that all women are lustful, which was popularized in ancient Greece when women were sex crazed they said and <laughs> if men slept with too many women it would be an insult to their virility <laughs> and uh it's a mostly forgotten trope but it did make a comeback in the 70s um when female vocalists started singing about cruising or propositioning guys for sex so in the stage version I'm sure we've mentioned it before, Rocky would be on kind of an operation table mm -hmm. as opposed to in a tank. So instead of Rocky lying on the slab like mm -hmm. he was supposed to be, uh, Janet is leaning over the tank, stroking his hand mm -hmm. and kind of wrapping a, that tiny little piece of torn fabric around it. And Janet is wearing a white push-up bra mm -hmm. with under underwire that's yeah. what it's called and she i purposefully got a size one size smaller because it's she, so written yeah. up in the back yeah it's, it's like comical on her shoulder blades yes and so that that too i'll kind of tighten the straps a little bit extra so that um i mean it is a burlesque so cleavage is not a bad thing but also like it does that effect that's happening in the movie where her the back of her bra is riding very far up yeah um she also is wearing just you know the cutest purest plainest white half slip yeah uh her underwear oh yeah her little granny panties yeah and they have a little bow on the front just doesn't you know, her bra it's... have a little bow in the middle too yes very virginal, very much like she got it as a set. Yes. And then she has her slip on, her half slip, mm -hmm. with scalloped lace along the edges. And it has edges. just a very tasteful slit on one side. On her left side. Because mm -hmm. she rips from left to right. And 
I'll have worn uh, the regular slip underneath my costume the whole time. Um, but right before coming out for her Janet drama out of the elevator, um, during Brad's bedroom scene, I'll put my other slip that's pre-torn. Uh, I ordered the same slip twice yeah. and just <laughs> uh, cut two strips of... I actually cut four strips because what I end up doing is more of a gag of like Janet just keeps pulling slips off of her, rips her slip off in various pieces. And (laughs) I've had Rockies before be like, where did you keep pulling all of those from? (laughs) (laughs) I do something similar. I also have the two slips, one you know, brand new and sparkly and pretty, and then one that is ripped in Mm -hmm. the front. And instead of putting it on underneath the clean one, I toss it behind the tank and I switch them while I'm behind the tank with Rocky. Smart. And I just keep one of the ripped pieces in my waistband so that I can like pretend to rip and then pull it out of my waistband. Oh, okay, okay. And then you get behind the tank and then you, as you're, because you know, then hooking up with Rocky, you switch them. Yeah, you don't need the torn slip until dinner scene. Yeah. Um, Nobody sees you from the waist down for a while. Yeah, from behind the tank. At least how we shoutcast it. Yeah. She also has her gold-plated Janet necklace, we've Mm -hmm. already said. By this point, she's removed her barrettes. She removed them in the elevator way earlier. Um, I'll put them in my purse and just keep them in my purse the rest of the night. Um, I want everyone to know that I still have um, an old chocolate bar in my Janet purse. Oh my gosh, Katie, me too. And I (gasps) haven't performed this show in, what, nine months? (laughs) And it's still in there. And I haven't been Janet in over a year. (laughs) But there's still a chocolate bar in my purse. Yep, there is. Not only is it a candy bar, I know it's from probably like two or three Christmases ago. (laughs) Because it's a Hershey's candy cane like white chocolate peppermint bar (laughs) that I love because the packaging when I pull it out of my purse you can see that it's a white chocolate bar wrapper Mm -hmm. and I'm only taking off a little nibble of it during a car scene see I don't even it's it's open this chocolate bar is open in my purse yeah me too (laughs) I do not eat it I literally pull it out of my bag (laughs) and then just push like pull it out of the wrapper a little bit and then just mime eating it because I know how old it is and I will not put that in my body. You know, chocolate doesn't expire, right? I just, I just eat it. (laughs) It's just a nibble. Brad doesn't accept any. I don't need to worry about (laughs) Ricky (laughs) taking some of my chocolate bar, okay? (laughs) (laughs) What if he just reaches over one day and is like, and I'm like, Ooh, that's really old. Spit Don't it spit it out. <laughs> and in this frame, we also see that statue of David, just perfectly in between mm-hmm. Rocky and Janet. Why? Because I'm still trying to figure out who Rocky is, actually. Like, I'm still trying to figure out where Frank got his body. Yeah. It's like they keep putting, like, really muscular statues um, just anywhere that Rocky is to kind of remind us, like, look, he's perfect. He's mm-hmm. just like in the statues. Mm-hmm. So is Rocky a Medusa'd, un statue? 
did Charles Atlas really not die? And Frank just got a hold of him and medused him, and then unmedused him, and swapped his brain. Are you saying that Frank medused Charles Atlas at approximately the age of 27? Yes. And then there was a body double for Charles Atlas for the rest of his life, like Mm -hmm. Paul McCartney? He cloned him. Okay. Frank met him when he was a kid, grabbed a piece of hair, cloned him. (laughs) That's how he, uh, yeah. (laughs) I I just, whatever, however we can justify it, okay? I'm okay with it. Um, But yeah, I definitely think we're getting some kind of like, hey... Rocky is a little too perfect. Perfect. He doesn't talk. He doesn't really have thoughts. Doesn't really get motivated to do much. <laughs> so, just reminding you. <laughs> Janet begins singing. I was feeling done in. Couldn't win. <sighs> she sighs. I'd only ever kissed before. She's, like, slowly stroking Rocky's hand with one of her lace slip strips. And she's kind of going in time with the lyrics. But she's delivering this with those soft Susan eyes, those seductive, just demure eyes. That before we even know that she's, like, Rocky has no idea he's going to be seduced. But we all know that this is the beginning of a seduction because mm-hmm. Janet is, like, giving him the eyes. What is she feeling done in for? Like, a life of heterosexual norms? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a... I felt like my life was over. Like, I felt like nothing else was going to happen with me. Like, it was just like, oh, I'm going to marry Brad and that's going to be it. Like, nothing else, you know, I don't get to... And that's the next step. Yeah, I don't get do. to meet anybody else. I don't get to date anybody else. This is it. I've I've reached the finish line. Did we witness Janet's first kiss? I think so. One, probably one of the first. If she's saying she's only ever kissed. And that was like a very timid kiss. Yeah. That took a lot of uh, strain on both of their parts <laughs> to like make it as brief of a peck as possible. We immediately cut back to interior of Columbia's room where Columbia and Magenta are still watching Columbia turns to Magenta just incredulous. You mean she's... Uh, huh? A virgin. (laughs) (laughs) And Columbia's, like, shocked. Yes. She didn't know people could still be virgins. Especially at the age that Janet is. Because I think that Janet and Columbia are, like, a similar age. Mm -hmm. So Columbia's kind of relating her own life to Janet's, where she's like, I've already, you know, slept with this many guys. And then she's like, wait, she's never slept with anybody? Mm -hmm. And Magenta is much less surprised. Uh, Oh, if by that you mean, like, she didn't care at all? She she... called it. (laughs) She was like, oh, yeah, you didn't know from the second you looked at them that they were virgins. But this also just gives us the information that neither of them are virgins. Like, Mm -hmm. they're both very sexually experienced. Right. (laughs) And we cut back to the laboratory where Janet continues stroking Rocky's hand. She sings, I thought... There's no use getting into heavy petting. It only leads to trouble and seat wedding. (laughs) 
and she's slowly bringing Rocky's hand closer to her cleavage, like, you want to touch? You want to touch? No. You don't get to touch because that leads to trouble. Like, it's something she's heard before. Like, that's a warning that her parents or maybe clergy people... Um, the nuns at her Catholic college. Oh, wait, that was Susan, not Janet. Right, 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 right. Yeah, like, <laughs> Janet is building anticipation by, you know, giving Rocky a little bit of... She's, like, slowly revealing to him what she wants to happen tonight. I think she's also slowly coming to terms with it herself. Uh-huh. Yes. And we, the audience, like, can't not wait for Rocky to start touching her because she's been running around this whole movie this whole time and no one has like Brad hasn't put his hands on her at all we've barely seen Frank touch her yeah so it's like the horn dog in all of us <laughs> is like do it do it do, do it, it Rocky do it. come on yeah we want to Ooh, this is fun. This is what we came for. We heard this scene was in this movie. <laughs> like, ah, oh, it's what we've just been building up to. I love that line that she casually thinks about female masturbation as like a trend or a fad. <laughs> like, I've heard. No point getting into it. I've heard it leads to seat wedding. So, but she knows. She at least knows. Uh, secretions are a thing. Either that or she thinks they pee their pants. <laughs> she smiles pretty coyly. She kind of <laughs> looks at Rocky like, did you get the innuendo I was making? Did I know you you're get only it, a few hours old at this point, but did you get it? <laughs> and we cut back to Columbia's room where Columbia is still painting Magenta's toenails uh, as she fiddles with the hairdryer with her fingers. She's just kind of like absentmindedly playing with it. It's mm-hmm. kind of phallic. It's a little phallic. Patricia in the commentary thinks that all of this scene is very sexy and very naughty. <laughs> and Richard in that commentary notes how Colombian Magenta were originally written as one character mm-hmm. and how they became two it's like they're kind of still two of the same cloth yeah they're totally symbiotic like you said they're having a casual night watching the bachelorette featuring Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> literally us before we recorded this episode it's fine if anybody wants to talk the bachelorette our DMs are open. Wide open. Oh my gosh. Let us know who you think the final two are going to be. Let us know who you think is going to be in Bachelor in Paradise. Tell us. If we could do a movie by minute podcast of The Bachelorette. Every season of The Bachelorette. Not The Bachelor. Just The Bachelorette. Janet continues, now all I want to know is how to go. I've tasted blood and I want more. More, more, more. And Colombian and Magenta are like egging her on. They're totally engaged in her storytelling. In between these lines, there's a lot of really quick camera shots between the tank, Janet, Rocky, and then back to Columbia's room. It's just kind of the camera keeps flipping and changing and going from cut to cut to cut. 
stage directions for shadow casting it's actually really fun really easy it is so much fun to shadow cast this you song. have like your tank prop whatever mm-hmm. that may be whether it's just literally a piece of plywood that you've painted over mm-hmm. on some little fl- flimsy Feet. legs you yeah. know as long as there's something in front of you you hang out behind there as rocky and janet and then your Columbia and Magenta will be on either side of the stage or either side of maybe the front row of the audience, somewhere where they can sit. Mm-hmm. I've seen people sit on like the back of the chair in the front row of the audience so mm-hmm. that you can be seen. I've seen, uh, I think it would be so cool to make a, maybe Crazed Imagination I think has CI it has in it. San Diego. They gutted a vintage TV and put a light bulb in there. Like a stage light. Yes. Yeah. So it's like a blue tinted light that lights up Columbia and Magenta for Tatcha. And it is the cutest prop and we love it so, so, so much. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so good. Like if you uh, find a cheap TV at a thrift store and you have a fun de- demolition day and just literally like break out the inside so it becomes a shell and then you could place that on the side of the stage that magenta and columbia are sitting on so good so i'll be in the tank as janet and i will try to play play out to the audience as much as possible like yeah you're having a conversation with rocky but also, Everyone in the audience came to hear this song, and like well, and Janet is kind not of seducing only that, the audience. Yeah, Janet is not only talking to Rocky; she's also kind of talking to whoever can hear her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's kind of talking to herself and everyone else mm-hmm. at the same time. Because I think the reason we keep getting cuts back to Magenta and Columbia is to remind us as viewers that we too are being a little voyeuristic in watching this material Mm -hmm. that Susan Sarandon and Peter Hinwood have no idea we're watching this movie right now of them getting it on. You know, that's a little voyeuristic. Yeah. It's a little bit of a... Us, it's consensual because it's a movie. But Magenta and Columbia, it's a little less consensual because... Janet doesn't know that they're watching. Yes. Yeah. Or... She does, because she saw the camera in her room, knows that there's monitors everywhere, yeah, and is unafraid to be found at this point, because she knows Brad cheated too, so maybe she's on her warpath. Maybe. And she's like, I need to get even. <laughs> if Brad thinks he can sleep with whoever he wants to, so can I. We cut back to the lab. Janet rips another piece of her slip off. I'll put up no resistance. I want to stay the distance. This line reminds me of the line that Frank says, I don't want no dissension, just dynamic tension. Mm -hmm. It feels like a sister line to Mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. Janet's been sold on the fantasy. Yes. Yeah. She is in it. Oh, yeah. And as soon as she says it, we cut back to Colombian Magenta doing their ha! Because they cannot believe their eyes. They cannot believe. Oh, shoot. Oh, fantasy sweets on. Yeah. (laughs) Do it. Ooh, yeah. And at the same time, we get this, like, 
heavy rock and roll. And it gets us amped up because we're like, (gasps) it's happening. Oh, it's happening. (gasps) And it happens twice because Janet says, I've got an itch to scratch. We cut quickly back to Columbia and Magenta and they do another (gasps) because they know what that means. She says, I need assistance. This frame of the movie, I never look at it long enough. But I don't know why they chose this frame if they had other shots that they'd done of Susan delivering this line because Peter gets completely blocked out by, I'm guessing, a set piece, like maybe the elevator or maybe something. Or they're saying it doesn't matter, like Rocky doesn't matter in this scene. It could Mm -hmm. be literally anyone. Exactly. Rocky is replaceable. She says, I need assistance, but to nobody. Yeah. Because what she's about to do is give instruction on exactly how she wants to feel sexually fulfilled. And she doesn't really need a partner to do that either. Mm-hmm. Like it she's could, really. Yeah. It could literally Rocky. be anyone. Insert person here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think they blocked out Rocky in that scene because it doesn't matter that it's Rocky. Mm mm. And Janet's been sitting on the edge of the tank. She's been holding on to one of, like, the tank bars for stability. But at this point, she completely straddles Rocky, throws her arms over his neck. This is the most playful she is of Olive Toucha. And then she becomes more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, this is her being kind of fun and like, ooh, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. And... Rocky turns away at the thought of it being dirty. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, I don't oh, want no. to be dirty. Ah. And she turns him back forcefully toward her, says, thrill me, chill me, fulfill me. And we cut back to Magenta and Columbia viewing her say, creature of the night. Columbia is stroking Magenta's leg. And they're like so amped up on this situation. They're like getting into the moment. At one point, you can see that. Columbia's like digging her fingers into Magenta's leg because she's so stoked on what is happening on the TV screen. Magenta continues to just lick her lips and fiddling with the hairdryer still. And anytime Pat licks her lips ever, I'm like, how do people not recognize her lips in science fiction? Yeah. Because she does that like upside down, like grimace smile. That she's famous for Mm -hmm. in this movie so often. Mm -hmm. Especially in this scene. She does a lot of the like... (laughs) I know this is a podcast and you have no idea what my mouth was just doing, but... Watch the scene and you'll know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On the TV monitor, Rocky ducks down under Janet's leg that she has propped up on the side of the tank. Janet moves from sitting on the edge of the tank to standing inside of it. And Rocky is so cute because we cut back to now a uh, more close up mm-hmm. of the two of them in the tank. Still David in the background. He's just like so cute and like smiling so naturally that it's totally, I think it's just Peter Hinwood being charmed by Susan Sarandon on totally. set and being like, this is such a cool scene. She is so beautiful. I can't believe I get to be this close to this beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. But he's still respectable. Like... Rocky does not jump at the chance to bone. 
he's like, oh, she's talking to me right now. I'm going to pay attention to her. He's like so engaged. Yes. Like making eye contact, smiling and like kind of nodding. I mean, if I were being filmed with Susan Sarandon, I would be locked in too. (laughs) Um, And he just has one single slip strip that's tied around his right bicep. Like, I don't know what she thought she was, what these slips strips were going to help at all. Everything. Magical. His biceps are so big, it doesn't even cover his old bicep. It's like slung down around his elbow. (laughs) Janet continues with the next verse. Then if anything grows (laughs) while you pose, I'll oil you up and rub you down. Down, down, down. Boner joke. I know. LOL. (laughs) She's, like, suggesting the joke, and she's kind of uncomfortable with suggesting the joke, but then, like... She, like, giggles and turns away. But she really wants to see it. Oh, yeah. She's, like, "Uh, no, I'm serious about it. Because she's, like, a pretty solid uh, phone sex operator at this point. Yeah. Like, the... She would totally be the best at, like, hey, uh, I'm calling into the sex line. I'd like to talk to a schoolgirl type. This is what you would get. (laughs) Innocent schoolgirl that's really dirty, you'd get a Janet. Absolutely. She really wants to go all the way. Because she's saying, like, okay, whatever comes up, we're going to continue. She says, that's just one small fraction of the main attraction. We cut back again to Magenta and Columbia knowing exactly what that means. (laughs) That means they're going to go all the way. And Janet gets the idea, you need a friendly hand, grabs Rocky's hands, and pr- places them firmly on the outsides. Sandwiches of her. her own boobs with his hands. Uh-huh. She shudders with, uh, that's like a relief. <laughs> oh, I need action. As he gropes, she sings, touch a touch a touch a touch me. I want to be dirty. Thrill me, chill me, fulfill me, creature of the night. Can I tell you that Rocky's hands in this groping scene are the funniest things ever? Because he has them, his fingers are like so widely outstretched that they're almost bending backwards. And he's just kind of like smushing her boobs around like a kid would play with boobs. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah, he's just kind of smushing them and like... But it works for her. Yeah. So we get a camera POV shot over Rocky's shoulder, like panning up from where he's fondling her. We get her necklace and her otherwise like bare shoulders and neck. And she's tossing her hair back in enjoyment. Like her (laughs) eyes are closed. She's in ecstasy. Like he may be doing elementary moves, but... She doesn't mind. No, they're exactly what she likes. She's (laughs) literally just asking for anything just touch no she's not asking lick me here no she's like me here she's like no i just want affection and touch a touch a touch a touch me yeah sensual attention and she is taking charge informing her partner of what she likes and how she likes it and is also giving him very express consent to put his hands all over her and she's also kind of 
illustrating that women also have sexual needs and desires and that it's not all about intercourse or the man's pleasure or a man orgasming and coming to completion like it's just it it, sex can be a lot of other things Mm -hmm. it takes i love it because rocky like touches her boobs and it takes him like a second to like what (laughs) and then he's like what we have a really great photo of our friend walter (laughs) who's actually touching my boobs (laughs) and he has a look of like pure joy on his face because and also (laughs) ultimate concentration (laughs) it is walter has the best faces like every single picture of walter we find is just golden it's just dumb (laughs) he does the right dumb rocky faces he's like walter posted one last segment one of my favorite where he's just like totally canning to the audience a big old cheesy grin (laughs) right before touch is about to start like we all know what song is coming next (laughs) So shout out to Walter. We love you and we love your dumb face. Oh, it's like the best dumb face. <laughs> it does all of the best dumb faces. <laughs> we cut back to Columbia Magenta because Janet kind of drops down with Rocky into the tank, or that's what I would do shadow casting. Columbia and Magenta have been watching, of course, and they're amused by Janet's inexperience, parodying <laughs> her as they sing... Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. Oh, I want to be dirty. Thoroughly told me, fulfill me. Creature of the night. (laughs) And it's kind of, so do you think they're intentionally, like, playful? Are they going to hook up? Is this their foreplay? So like I said before, to me, it seems like they're just kind of making fun of them. But, like, maybe they do hook up. Because Columbia gives a riff-style Dracula kiss. Yeah. And Magenta is blowing Columbia with her hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> she literally sticks the hairdryer in Columbia's shirt. It's really it's really funny. And I love when my Magentas have blow dryers because they really do stick it down your shirt. It's it's funny. Uh-huh. If Columbia, if this is for Columbia is more playful and more just like, oh, we're making fun of Janet right now. I think Magenta's taking it, because Magenta's been watching it more, uh, with more intensity, and has, like, if I'm going to interpret a hairdryer, it's hot and bothered, okay? (laughs) Like, she's getting warm, things are getting steamy, we're going to have to take off all of our clothes soon. I don't know, maybe Magenta is a voyeur, because that's indicative of her species and she likes hooking up with women maybe because we uh, don't see her hook up with anybody else we don't see magenta um try to go after brad or janet well and like we saw her brother riff getting off on watching uh brad and janet go into their rooms earlier maybe she you know this is her time where she's like hey and it's also like these two more experienced girls are reminding us, the audience, that Janet is so innocent and so naive. And that, like, yeah, she's telling Rocky to touch her. But also, these are very elementary instructions. Like, 
She could be saying, kiss my neck here. I like it when my ear gets nibbled. Like, it's still very inspecific and generalized. We can't expect her to go from Jan- damn it, Janet, to <laughs> rose tint my world. Without a middle step. Without, exactly. Yeah. Without a touch of toucha. She needs to have that, like, she's figuring it out. We cut back to the interior laboratory. We get a key change with Janet's moan of ecstasy. Um, and also the tempo kind of picks up. Like, we're nearing completion here. And she continues, touch a touch a touch a touch me. I want to be dirty. And, okay, I personally am coming over this shot <laughs> because it's a practical effect to get that lighting change as the camera is panning down the side of the tank. Yes. I think it's so effective. I don't know if they dyed the tank knowing that it would provide such beautiful cinema magic of like they didn't have to put visual effects on this scene yeah it's you know gorgeous. it's it's all practical it, blo- it blows my mind or if they were just on set that day and we're like what if ah, we film we're gonna here. pan down and oh this is really cool it gives us a rainbow like she's now really going under the influence of all of the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> she's not just a, in a rose tint. She's getting like a full experience now. Rocky is just like touching her all over. He's not even being a pig about it. No. She's giving him consent and he could just like go for it. Yeah, finish the job. He's like, no, he's like massaging her shoulders. He's rubbing all over in a very sensual way and letting, he's so, being so patient with Janet and letting her kind of take the lead okay but also he's less than seven hours old (laughs) he's literally a baby so maybe she needs to take the lead and he does only have half an eddie brain (laughs) so who knows even what a full eddie brain would be i don't even (laughs) know that that would be we don't know what eddie's full iq is (laughs) But yeah, Rocky is trying to turn Janet on instead of just getting each other off. We get another cut back to Magenta and Columbia just briefly tickling each other. They're not even participating in the song anymore. They've moved on to their own fun. So I think they are, they are getting like genuinely turned on by it. They're making Riverdale tickle porn right now. <laughs> Janet now gets a close-up She's laying in the tank. Uh, The sheet is about her. We know that, like, Rocky is, you know, doing sexual things to her. And she says, Throw me, chill me, fulfill me. Creature of the night. Creature of the night. From there, we switch to Janet's POV, going through all of the characters, what she fantasizes as them singing that line, too. Why does she picture everybody? Is she just, like... I fantasizing well, about sleeping with all of them? Yeah, I think, like I said before, the reason they cut out Rocky in that frame is because, insert character here, doesn't matter who it is, like, she was, whoever she found was going to be her next conquest. Interesting. So I think that she's like, could be Rocky, could be Brad, could be Frank, could be Magenta, could be Columbia, could be Riff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Don't really care. Yeah. I can understand why Janet would get turned on by any of them in this situation. 
And I also love this scene because it's such a good representation of a woman's brain during sex of like, yeah, I'm thinking about what's happening right now, but I'm also thinking about what I had for lunch today and what time I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and do yoga and work suck today. Oh yeah, this is fun. Oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, fun, sex. Um, But also this other thing I was thinking about, like there's, it's complicated in a woman's brain. It's not just like the man's brain that's like linear. (laughs) I'm doing this task and this task is touch a this is the the purpose of my species so i cannot think about anything else is like what the man's brain is doing but yeah she's like not just thinking about all of them she also i think her thinking about frank and brad is also like processing her trauma Mm -hmm. that just occurred like moments ago she was just seeing them lured under false pretenses by frank and the last time she was in this situation was with frank yeah so in this moment with rocky she's kind of oh yeah this makes me think of the last time i did this even though that wasn't a good experience yeah you know we get all these quick shots rocky first pops up and says creature of the night Then we get Janet's hands just, like, twisting around all over her as we transition to Brad. Creature of the night? (laughs) He's like, what do you mean a creature of the night? (laughs) And we cut to Janet putting her head back in ecstasy. We cut to Frank. Creature of the night. And he's so creepy because he licks his lips Mm -hmm. on creature, which is, I think, Frank... I think that's Frank himself calling himself a, a creature. Yeah. We f- get a shot of Rocky kissing Janet on her neck. Then we get a nut. We cut back to now Magenta. Creature of the night. But it's like, she like, le- it's. She leans in leans and her in. hair is big and it takes up like the whole frame. All of it comes down and we cut back again to Janet's hands And now we're seeing more explicitly like her showing her engagement ring again Mm -hmm. to remind those of us who've not seen it a couple of times. Oh yeah, she didn't come here single. Mm -hmm. This isn't, we shouldn't be cheering this person on knowing that we were earlier cheering on her and Brad getting engaged and being like, oh, that's so cute. Now a cute wedding's going to happen. Like, now we're like, yes, sleep <laughs> with Rocky. Sleep with Rocky. Oh, oh, but that's complicated because, <laughs> oh, no, and he's still in the building. Like, it's not even that she's... Brad's still there. Yeah. Ugh. Then we get Riff Raff saying, creature of the night. Then we immediately get Columbia. Creature of the night. <laughs> Which at that point everyone in the Shadowcast audience screams. Yes. <laughs> because uh it's a little scary. <laughs> she kinda it's a little terrifying. We get you know, Rocky was so nice you had to have him twice. He comes back and says the only words he's capable of saying, so he's gonna say it twice, gosh darn it. Creature of the night. And then Janet, we get back to her. Is this her orgasming? I think so. Because she like tosses her head back and kind of like 
gives herself pillow hair. Mm-hmm. She says, creature of the night. <sighs> and then covers herself with the red sheet. And not even seconds go by when we hear the elevator coming into the lab. Yeah, it kind of slams up. Yeah, like, number over, cut back into the linear narrative. So, how we get everybody on stage now <laughs> on sh- as, as a Shadowcast. Um, Rocky and Janet, after we drop down for Columbia and Magenta to have their parody moment... That's when, like, we'll get set up for whatever visual gag we're going to do for the last verse of Tetra. And it varies. It's sometimes Janet pretending to bone Rocky from behind and penetrate from behind. Or if you have, like, a particularly strong Rocky, we'll do, like, lifts and... Oh my gosh, the lifts that we do sometimes, I'm like, why are we doing this, guys? It's, it's one, We're not Columbia and Nettie. We don't need to be doing crazy lifts. At one point, we had um, a horse head mask, <laughs> and um, one of the two of them would pop up for one of their lines wearing the horse head mask, so that was always kind of one of my favorites. The Apple, the Apple Valley show, we did a double Rocky. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. And they Eiffel Towered <laughs> me. Well, I think we had them just alternating scenes. And then we had them both for Tetra. And when Rocky went down under Janet's leg. The other one popped up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what we'll do for um, like concasting shows with mm. Eddie and Columbia during um, Hot Patootie. Is we'll do what we call an Eddie Swarm. Where we'll have like... <laughs> All of the people cast as Columbia and all of the people, like, three or four people cast as Eddie all go up on the stage and they'll all do the little, like, dance and they'll all do the lifts. Oh my gosh. All of them on the same stage? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of fun, though, because everybody else gets, like, multiple casting, but, like, Eddie, he's on the air for a couple minutes. You could dinner scene cast Eddie. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> Can't spoil the, the dinner surprise, okay? And then after I don't ever see it, do does everyone pop up for their Creature of the Night moments? No, not for our cast, but I've seen it done with other casts. I think Sins does it mm-hmm. where they, like, you'll pop your head in and they'll light you. We don't do it at Chaos, but... I know that other casts definitely do, because I've definitely missed my cue before. Um. (laughs) Well, it's also one of those moments that, like, if you just let the movie play out, there's so many things going on in a Shadowcast show that, like, you kind of... I like that we have a little bit of breaks in the Shadowcasting, so the people who came to see a movie and we're expecting to watch a movie get a little bit of just straight movie sometimes Mm -hmm. and because going from like the rainbow tank to all of their close-up shots intercut is masterful filmmaking i love it that like yeah you don't need you don't need everybody to pop up because they're all gonna show up in this next scene anyway yeah i love that that we get reminded of everybody so that when everybody shows up, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is a full house. Oh yeah, 
At the end of Tatcha, Janet and Rocky will hide behind the tank, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. You will have Riff, Brad, and Frank enter from wherever you've made your designated elevator spots. Mm-hmm. They'll come up, elevator will come up to an abrupt stop, and you'll just kind of have them all fall out of the yep. elevator, basically. Yep. Like, you're like, oh, oh my gosh. I just remember the first time I watched it, it was it felt like such a jumbly mess that I had no idea what was going on. It is a jumbly mess. We're trying to figure out how to unjumble. <laughs> because, like, really, you get uh, so many opportunities of character development. Like, you right now in this elevator, you get a better understanding of Frank and Riff's dynamic than you've seen all night. Like, you've seen a little bit of the abusive tendencies that Frank applies to his leadership of the yes. of the mission. But we now see it happening in real time. And we also get Brad's reactions to it mm-hmm. to gauge that it's not okay that Frank is treating Riff this way. Because he's just his employee, man. <laughs> like, it's definitely not been an equal ride so far mm-hmm. and for frank to be upset with riff when frank was off fooling around is like he's really just mad at himself yeah he's mad that he wasn't watching rocky better you know riff Raff cries out frank is hitting him with the whip isn't like fully extended because they're still in the they're elevator. still in the close elevator <laughs> yeah and brad's like Almost in the crosshairs. So he's kind of hitting him with the butt of the uh-huh. whip. Just like beating him. Yeah. Just, that's all. Like, There's no reason. They're standing there. Basically punching him. Because yeah. he's holding on to the whip but hitting him with it. So it's like he's punching him. Brad is wincing every time Frank hits him. He's still wearing his blue robe. Mm-hmm. And when the elevator finally lands, Riff Raff throws the elevator gate open moves out of the lift, scrambles to the floor, yelling, Mercy! Stop fucking hitting me, dude! Please, please. Stop! Mercy! He has reached his breaking point. He's no longer just saying, stop, ouch, that hurts. He's literally begging for mercy. Frank is such a dick. (laughs) He's just such a dick. Frank is now wearing this, like, very chic leather jacket with mm-hmm. fringe on it and chains and buttons and pins and patches all over it's so cool it's like i oh want one of those the jackets. coolest leather we'll talk about it a little bit later <laughs> but there could i think frank is getting enjoyment out of uh hitting him it unleashing the pain yeah and, like, he just needs the right partner to accept that sort of thing. And Riff is not that person. And no. Like, could this be Riff's breaking point that, like, physical abuse is where he draws the line? I think that he has hit his breaking point long ago. Mm-hmm. And... And Frank whips him all the time. Yes. Mm. I don't think this is a first-time thing. Yeah. Because, okay, so then listening to the commentary, that's a real whip. Yes. That Tim Curry is hitting Richard O'Brien with. And he said he landed a few hits, too. Yeah, so maybe this is where Richard O'Brien decided he didn't particularly like Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, too much method, man. Be a little... But then if it's... Get a fake whip. Yeah. 
I don't know how he could have how he could have faked that. They could have padded Richard O'Brien. They could have put like a pillow. A yeah, he has a hump. They could have put a pillow back there for this <laughs> one scene where he's getting whipped across the back. Riffraff sprawls on the floor. Frank exits the elevator. Before Riff can move to get up, Frank hits him again with the whip, denying his request for mercy. He says, How did it happen? I understood you were to be watching. Yeah, Riff. How did it happen? Hmm. 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 And Frank kind of gives him the, like... Like a little threatening look. There's a beat when he says watching. Like... We're Transylvanians. We're always watching. We're always voyeuristically exposing somebody somewhere. And what his, do you mean you weren't paying attention to Rocky? And Tim's eyes in this are, like, so intense. Mm-hmm. Like, literally the phrase, if looks could kill, this, I think, is what most people are referencing, is this piercing look that he gives. Yeah, it's like when he's about to kill Eddie. Yes. When he's that, like, creepy smile, that sinister smile. But this one isn't even, like, a creepy, sinister smile. This is literally just intense, rage. like, rage. Yes. Riff says, I was only away for a minute, master. Well, see if you can find him on the monitor. Watch. He hits Riff. He moves away. Frank hits him backhanded. Just like... Now he's just getting it out. Now he's like, ooh, this is a fun toy. I'm going to keep doing this. And Bradley J is doing a concern yeah. in the background. And he doesn't even have his glasses on. So, like, he probably doesn't even really know exactly what's happening. He probably hears the noises and hears the pain in Riff's voice and is just sympathizing with that. But also, he is not an asshole in this scene. He is a pussy. Mm-hmm. Because he could say something to Frank. Columbia stands up to Frank later. Ra- if Brad is the perfect specimen of manhood, he should be able to stand up for other people when they're being Whipped. literally abused in front of <laughs> yes. his face. Like he could, s- hey, 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 calm down. This isn't, we need to talk this out, be a, some kind of mediator. But, but instead he, doesn't. he just kind of cowers in the background. Like it's not his business yeah. to get involved in. We cut to the TV monitor. Riffraff has switched a channel on, and the image of a middle-aged professorial man in a wheelchair appears. He's just outside of the castle, sitting in the rain with an umbrella over his head, and peers into the security camera lens with a pair of binoculars. (laughs) He definitely came prepared for the weather. More prepared than Brad and Janet. So that tells me he left not too long ago. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, he left not that long ago. And he didn't drive there, right? Does Dr. Scott drive? He drives a wheelchair. Well, if he's close enough that I can believe he either rolled himself in the wheelchair or if he can walk, if he walked and carried the wheelchair from his front door to Frank's front door. Mm -hmm. That means Brad and Janet's walk to Frankenstein Castle was just as far as the walk to Dr. Scott's front door. And they could have easily gotten there if they had known the way. Yes. And that it's not that far at all 
at all. They're within walking distance of each other. Mm-hmm. Or in Dr. Scott's case, rolling distance. We cut back to the interior laboratory. Riffraff says, Master, Master, we have a visitor. He hasn't alerted Frank to anybody else's arrival. No. Everyone kind of gathers around. Frank and Brad gather around. We get another shot of who we know is Dr. Scott sitting in the rain. But Frank and Riff almost wait for Brad to identify him. Brad says, hey, Scotty. And he puts on his glasses to get a better look. And he kind of like giggles like, oh, a good old friend, a good old pal. Dr. Everett Scott. Riff Raff says, you know this earthling? Frank hits the monitor with the butt of the whip. This person? That is either a Freudian slip or a Fodian slip where Riff did not mean to reveal the secret that they've all been hiding which is all that night long. They're aliens. Which is that they're aliens. Or he's very deliberately letting it drop in front of not just Brad, but Frank to remind Frank where his loyalties should maybe lie. Mm-hmm. Like, you think it's fun hooking up with Brad and Janet, but like, you just met them too, Frank. How can you trust people and invite them up to your secret lab that's literally only accessible by elevator. It's like one of the old, like, sci-fi TV, like Star Trek. Yeah. You know, where they only can get into the control panel by that, like, fancy spaceship door that <laughs> takes them up to the top level that has super exclusive clearance. Yeah. And only the commander of the ship and his immediate crew are allowed in the control deck. But no, Frank, like, meets Brad and Janet, is like, you guys look like you'd be fun to hook up with. Do you want to come upstairs into my secret sanctum? Or Riff is, like, caught off guard and yeah. is truly not expecting Dr. Scott to show up and is like, oh, shit, I know who this guy is. Yes. Brad says, I most certainly do. He happens to be an old friend of mine. And he has no idea what saying that is going to do. That is what unravels the whole rest of the... The jumble that's already a jumble. Like, now we're going into, like... Hyperspeed. Like, we're hitting plaid, people. We're going plaid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he is so honest. He just... He just responds. He just knows. That's my friend. Yeah, of course I'm going to ID him. Patricia Quinn and Richard O'Brien. So cute. (laughs) In this part of the movie, in the commentary... All they can do is talk about Barry and how much they love Barry. And fangirl And how sweet Barry is. And Richard asks Pat, did you just think that Barry was Brad? And she wholeheartedly is like, yes. (laughs) Because he's so charming and so earnest and... Wonderful. Just so sweet. Yeah, that's totally the Barry we see in interviews now and at cons and the footage that we see of him he's totally a sweet doofy guy that's just the best best. i love him and richard and pat agree 
Uh Barry's the best. He came into their little friend circle that was already established, and he just won them all over. That he was the epitome of the character, that he just exemplified every aspect of Brad. And Richard O'Brien particularly appreciates that Barry has always had a sense of humor for the material and also an appreciation Mm -hmm. of the material because he plays it straight in parts and then in other points knows exactly the humor of the dialogue and of the situation. Well, and I think it shows especially even now when we're still getting Barry coming back to cons and redoing some of his parts like the Wisdoms live stream when mm-hmm. he did Once in a While <gasps> so good. in the arcade. That was hilarious. If you guys haven't seen it, if you didn't, weren't able to catch it, it is the cutest thing. He's literally wandering around like an abandoned arcade. <laughs> There's no one else in just there. Lamenting. And it's just berries singing to like stuffed animals and like claw machines. <laughs> and it is hilarious. He, he too is like blindly trusting Frankenfurter and the rest of the castle he he doesn't know really like he's made the comment that it's a hunting lodge for rich weirdos Mm -hmm. like he doesn't really know these people frank responds to brad i see so this wasn't simply a chance meeting you came here with a purpose on a porpoise (laughs) also one of my favorite callbacks And he starts kind of, like, prodding Brad with the butt of his whip. um, Because he's just, he's suspicious as a character. Mm -hmm. Just as a primary trait of his. But also, what in the fucking hell coincidence is it that Dr. Scott shows up when Brad and Janet are there? Yeah. Truly, that is something that... Oh my gosh, it keeps me up at night sometimes thinking <laughs> about like what a bizarre odd coincidence. It's a trope called a contrived coincidence where a highly improbable occurrence that is required by the plot occurs but has absolutely no otherwise outward justification. It's probably glossed over altogether because Dr. Scott being there doesn't even matter either. And the fact that he runs into Brad and Janet doesn't even matter either. It's that he's Eddie's uncle. Mm-hmm. That is the like jaw drop of the scene. But it also made me start to think, like, did Brad let Dr. Scott know that they were coming over or was it going to be a surprise? What if Dr. Scott gave them the wrong address on purpose? So they really did, they thought they went to the right place where they thought they were going because that was the address that they had for him. Oh. And, and then Dr. Scott was like, here I am. Because like I truly, so then I started to think about it. So Brad gets engaged. He proposes to Janet and then he gets the idea that he needs to go talk to Dr. Scott. And the only thing I could come up with is he was going to ask for employment. Mm. Like, okay, I this is the next step in life. Get a promotion in a couple of years. I should let him know that like we're starting a family. We're starting. We're gonna settle down. Like, 
hey, we still have this connection and I'm I'm networking. Literally, yeah. I just want to see if you have a job available for and me. And so he calls up Dr. Scott and says, hey, Dr. Scott, it's me, Brad Majors. Guess what? <laughs> I just proposed to Janet Weiss. Mind if I come see you this afternoon? And Dr. Scott's and like, a job. hmm, you want to come see me, do you? Mm-hmm. And gives him Frank's address. Well, then, if it is for a job, this would be a perfect, like, trial of Brad as yeah. an employee of, like, I'm going to need to send you on super secret UFO Bureau of Investigation missions. Then it would be like, cool, I know I can trust Brad to not reveal anything about the organization. And I can also trust that he is going to be a good, like, gating resource to check out the layout of a place, mm-hmm. to check out the layout of a spaceship before the manager, before Brad's manager is going to come and scope out the place himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Or that could have even been Dr. Scott's intention that Brad is just not even aware of. Yeah. Like, Dr. Scott could be using Brad and Janet for his own... Dubious purposes. Right. Yes. Frank pushes Brad with the butt of his whip... Brad says, I told you, my car broke down. I was telling the truth. I think he is telling the truth. I think he is too. I think he had no freaking clue that they were going to see Dr. Scott. Yes. I think that he genuinely thought him and Janet were lost, like without a hope, lost. Had Mm -hmm. no idea where they were. Mm -hmm. Thought, we're probably never going to see our friends or family again. We're done. This is it. This is the end. Yeah, I think he I think he forgets that Dr. Scott exists. Because I think like us, we forget Dr. Scott exists as an audience. And like the fact that he shows up after he's been referenced to briefly an hour ago. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. why is this character suddenly showing up? Why is there's too many characters already. I can't keep them all straight. I think Brad revealing so quickly to Frank that he's an old friend. Oh yeah, he's my friend. I think that that is genuinely like, oh my gosh, my friend's here. Wow, crazy. Not like, oh, my friend has arrived. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. Like, he's genuinely like, oh my gosh, Dr. Scott, I love you. But Frank does not believe it. No. I think Frank makes up his mind and then even if... Brad, like, Brad does tell him the truth, but he can't change his mind about it. He needs to see it for himself. He can't, like, trust other people. Mm -hmm. He says to him, I know what you told me, Brad, but this Dr. Everett Scott, his name is not unknown to me, eh? And he takes a draw on his cigarette because he's so stressed out. Brad says, He was a science teacher at Denton High School. And now he works for your government. Doesn't he, Brad? You cut to Brad. He's like, what? He works for the government? Frank continues, he's attached to the Bureau of Investigation of that which you call UFOs. Isn't that right, Brad? He might be. He moves to whip Brad. I don't know. So we've already said that either Dr. Scott is studying Frank or Frank is studying Dr. Scott. I love that Brad is like, Maybe you know him from being a science teacher at a high school. What was that old cartoon 
where it was like two spies that lived next door to each other and they each had like the giant telescopes that popped out of their roof and it was just like bigger and bigger uh, telescopes. Codename Kid Next Door? Yes. yes. That's that's Frank and, and Dr. Scott. As they both just keep <laughs> trying to outdo each other. They keep building a bigger telescope. To, yeah. No, maybe that's, is that Despicable Me? I have no idea. I think that's something that is like a You know what I'm to, talking yeah, about though, yeah. right? Where two opposing scientists just keep building bigger and bigger telescopes to observe each other and then they are like looking into the barrel of each other's telescopes. <laughs> but Frank is explicitly studying the American government. Yes. He's interested in what Americans are doing for one reason or another. Riff Raff reminds Frank, it's not all about the drama, okay? You think that you can air your dirty laundry all the time, but we can't just leave the guy standing out in the rain. He says, the intruder is entering the building, master. He pulls up the lever and switches off the picture on the TV monitor, which is just a loop of the same like I think probably five seconds of Dr. Scott sitting in the rain and looking at the security camera it's just on loop (laughs) and Frank realizes he'll probably be in the zen room (laughs) and we get a wipe to the interior of the zen room with the like yeah there's like a hookah and like incense burning and there's ashtrays like rolled cigarettes or probably joints Mm -hmm. we've Mm -hmm. definitely had uh pat and richard tell us that they had been smoking the devil's lettuce so (laughs) i'm gonna guess it was probably a joint that music is so funny it does the like (laughs) (laughs) dr scott is like such an old fogey that he oh marijuana oh he picks it up and looks at it with a magnifying glass and he's shocked tosses it back into the (laughs) ashtray all of these like wipes that we get where dr scott is aware of the camera's presence it just makes my eyebrow raise in inquisition because he refers he openly refers to the camera in eddie's teddy Mm -hmm. so i'm just trying to think if dr scott knows that he's being observed i think so knows he's being recorded even remember i told you giant telescope (laughs) he knows exactly what's going on at the frankenstein place we wipe back to the interior of the laboratory where Brad is still lying on the steps after Frank was threatening to whip him. Frank walks back over to the control panel and says, shall we inquire of him in person? Which is such a rash decision. Like, he doesn't even think for a second to talk about it with Riff Raff. No. Who's his, like, assistant and also an alien with the stake of being exposed. And again, he's bringing someone he doesn't know into his secret laboratory. Yes. Did he learn nothing from Dexter? My laboratory. Oh. Did he get out of my laboratory? I thought you meant Dexter, the serial murderer, and you were going to say something about, like, blood. Blood spatter? Like, the things in the thing that he keeps in the thing. The slides. The slides, thank you. The blood splatter slides <laughs> no, that he keeps in the... I mean, either Dexter. He learned <laughs> nothing from either of them. No, he did not. And Frank 
starts pulling on a long rod. Yeah. It's like just a big long lever labeled triple contact electromagnet. And it cues this like electricity sound effect, like like everything has gotten turned on to high. Dr. Scott, where he's been sitting, somewhere in the Zen room. I don't know where in the castle the Zen room is supposed to be located. I think it's probably like the sitting room next to the entrance. Yeah. Probably. That Brad and Janet walked past. They were shown right into the ballroom instead of hanging out in the like smoking section. Dr. Scott braces for the ride. He grabs onto his armrests. We get some like sitar music. Yeah. (laughs) playing uh continuing the theme of that zen room of dr scott getting just wheeled up the stairs so it's really funny because he's wheeled up by there's a string attached to his wheelchair but you can also see that the uh carpet is Uh cut like in half when he goes up that first set of stairs when he gets to the top and goes over you can see this is the The carpet carpet, like flip up (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure there was, like, a rod underneath that, like, attached him and pulled him up and over. I think it was a a wire. Because they were saying it might have been... I think it's the same, like, wire they were using for the pummel horse. Yeah, but it pulled him from, like, the front. I think that there was something so that he didn't, like, topple over on the stairs. Oh, like, a rod, like, I underneath. Like, a stabilizer. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Because then he gets yanked up the next flight of stairs. And we're passing... A bunch of mounted animal taxidermied heads on plaques on the Mm -hmm. wall. Just cobwebs covering everything. The banister, the heads. He passes a mirror at one point that's completely cobwebbed over. I have another question. Mm. Wasn't Magenta dusting at the beginning of this movie? (laughs) She only dusts the first banister. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no, this castle's way too fucking big. I'm just doing the first landing, and you'll be happy with it. <laughs> um, he then wheels around the first floor landing. Like, Janet is going to take the same path he takes now in Planet Schmanet. Yes. He flies past three closed doors and, like, a cased entryway that we don't get to see into. Um, but this is all Oakley Court. Yes. Because then I almost think they probably filmed Planet Schmanet and this moment of him flying up the stairs. Because the camera angle is almost identical. Yeah. It would make sense to just have the the three characters that would be utilizing that set. Um... Oh, plus, I guess Brad and Dr. Scott go up the elevator. Yeah. But yeah, I would just film all of that on the same day. if I, Because then you don't have to set up those cameras more than once. And you can have the same side, same shots. Um, and there's this empty, ornate gold picture frame on one of the walls that it's not framing anything. It's just there. Then we cut into Columbia's room, which is now fully lit. Mm-hmm. And Magenta and Columbia are sitting on the same, like, love seat, sofa. Lounge, chair, whatever it is. That they've been sitting on. And we get a really good look at Columbia's room. There's a Star is Born movie poster starring Mm -hmm. Judy Garland. Yes. 
next to like her record player. Um, she has her like the love seat that she's gonna lament on in Eddie's Teddy is there with like laundry and a teddy bear. There's mm-hmm. a teddy bear on it. And she has, it's so cute because there's little hearts on the top of the posts yeah. of the love seat. She has like a sink set up, another like bird bath type <laughs> sink with a mirror with a record beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, the soundtrack for the film. And then what is that? Um, that's not a piece of art. That's a like towel, right? Yeah, so it's a framed beach towel. Uh, Mark Jabara from the original Rocky Horror fan page on Facebook. He actually posted about it not too long ago. Uh-huh. It is the uh, vintage Marsco beach towel. It's called Lady on Beach. Um, it's a souvenir from Virginia Beach. It says Virginia Beach in the top corner. And it's actually just like a framed beach towel. <laughs> what a good idea. Like, And it is art. Yeah. Someone on that thread commented that they own one of yeah. those beach towels and someone commented like i'll send you 20 bucks for it <laughs> and they're like uh no this is priceless no thank you goodbye yeah. columbia has like all of her laundry line drying in the corner of the room her sequin bustier her, her fish nets her fish nets mm-hmm. it looks like her floor show stuff is hanging up there as well mm-hmm. we see meatloaf's hand as wallpaper in the background. We don't know it's meatloaf yet, though. We only get uh-huh. his hand. We only get a snippet, and, like, it's also such a brief look of this room mm-hmm. that you don't notice the wallpaper at all. At all. Um, Fun fact. This room was inspired by Brian Thompson and Perry Bedden's flat. The colors and everything. They mm-hmm. had, like, this yellow wall and all of these knickknacks, and a lot of this stuff actually came from that flat. Yes, it was either they designed it to be just like the apartment or they literally took stuff from the <laughs> apartment. Because it's Brian Thompson and he was like, okay, this is what I was going to say earlier with the Denton affair, with the statements. Like, Brian Thompson gets a directorial credit in shock treatment for the elements of production design that lend so much to the movie that yeah you need to give him a direction a directorial credit because he had so much to do with the in final interpretation of mm-hmm. the material and it's stuff like this that it's like well yeah he kind of get i that's why i do believe the denton affair statements even though i as a viewer cannot flip through them <laughs> Like Or actually read them when you just pause it. Right, right. <laughs> I have to take the renditions for what they are. That makes me believe that Janet's ending is canon because Brian Thompson, I think, in a way, almost gets like a retroactive directorial credit for this film, considering Jim Sharman and Richard O'Brien thought him so close to the, like, creative core yeah. of building, like, the universe. And then Columbia is reading this movie life issue, this gossip magazine, from April 1961. The cover boasted that it's the big kiss issue <laughs> featuring Elvis, Liz Taylor, and Clue Gulliger, 
uh, the articles included Nancy Sinatra's Never Marry a Singer, which is interesting because Columbia is romantically involved with a singer. Yes. Uh, Rumor of the month, Liz has necrophobia. And then a profile from a teacher claiming, I find my girls want to find out more information about themselves. Implying, like, sexual knowledge, awareness, basic anatomy information, you know. Yeah. Magenta is sprawled out behind Columbia, also laying on the same couch. She's reading Movie Mirror, another magazine. It's, again, the April 1961 edition. Uh, It's another gossip mag with articles like, My life is Bobby Darren's wife, and stars give you their secret beauty tips. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Magenta is smoking, laying on this couch. So if we take the same logic we had with Brad sitting on the edge of the bed smoking, then her and Columbia did hook up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's probably Magenta's prerogative. Because she's not interested in anybody else. The only person that we see her having any kind of, like... Interest in. Is Columbia. Yeah. And yeah. She's smoking after it. It was smoking hot (laughs) sex. Dr. Scott (laughs) just flies around. A ring around the rosy. (laughs) And And Columbia and Magenta just really don't... They barely look up. They really don't care. Barely an interruption from how fast he's in there. They like, (laughs) oh, another visitor? Oh, and he's gone. Okay, back to reading. (laughs) And then we cut to Dr. Scott flying up another flight of stairs. And he's like looking backwards and he can't believe he just went into a room randomly. (laughs) Like, why was he being taken up the stairs and then given a detour? Does he see Eddie's wallpaper? Yes. Maybe that's why he's looking around like, wait, was was that Eddie in that room? Oh, okay. And then the very next shot is him bursting through the laboratory wall. We finally get a door in the lab. <laughs> and Brad rises from the steps into the frame and exclaims, Great Scott! <laughs> and we all throw our toilet paper. <laughs> We get this really fun sound effect of, like, a plane flying when he rolls down the ramp. And he's going so fast, like, Brad cannot believe he's going, like, mock speed down this ramp. In the stage show, like, Dr. Scott would just be coming in from one of the wings, or maybe from an aisle. And hey, if you're shadow casting, Dr. Scott should come down an aisle, because that's really fun. It is really fun. And you can have him be pushed by someone. Or he can just, like, feel the regular momentum of the the aisle and just yeah. careen down the theater. Whatever feels best, man. Yeah. But, okay. Everyone says that they needed to throw Dr. Scott through that wall to make a door. Mm-hmm. Because they forgot to build a door. Like, they, they the internet says that... Production, quote, forgot to build a door for Dr. Scott to go through. And if Brian Thompson thought of things to put in a book that we're not even going to read, he would have thought to put a door in the laboratory. Yeah. If he thought, which tile feels more like Frankenfurter? Uh Uh-huh. 
he uh-huh. would have thought to put in a door. Yeah, because not only does Dr. Scott need to enter the lab, like we're going to see Janet taking, like I said, the same track back into the lab to get Medusa later. If there is not a door for her to go through, Janet would corner herself at the top of like a dead end staircase, I guess, in the castle. Yeah. And she wouldn't be able to get back into the... It's another one of those, like, uh, contrived coincidences that, like, Janet needs a door to get in. And she can't take the elevator because Brad and Dr. Scott take the elevator. I just don't buy it that Brian would have forgotten to build a door. I don't buy it. I think that it was intentional. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and he's a rival scientist. Like we were just saying that if this is like the control panel of the spaceship, it's kind of appropriate that he literally breaks into the laboratory as a rival scientist. After Dr. Scott passes Brad, he heads straight to the control panel and gets stopped. Right at the, ele- <laughs> yeah. the electromagnet. Yes. And Frank very comfortably just rests his high heel <laughs> On Dr. Scott's wheelchair. Almost as if he's done it before. Hmm. (laughs) Because, yeah, we've had it suggested that Dr. Scott and Frank maybe have a past. And a sorted past at that. Dr. Scott says, Frankenfurter, we meet at last. And you could say that again. Because we've not heard Frankenfurter's name the entire film. We've been referencing him as Tim Curry or the guy that's in drag or the master of the house like we don't know his name and it's so interesting that Dr. Scott is who introduces Brad and Janet and us to Frankenfurter Mm -hmm. Brad offers his hand to Dr. Scott Dr. Scott Brad what are you doing here is he actually surprised Or did he send not just Brad, but also Eddie? I have so many different theories about Dr. Scott because he's such an interesting character. There's so many things to look at about him. Mm -hmm. So there could be the he sent them because he was trying to spy on Frank. Or it could be Frank keeps luring in all of his friends and family. And that's how he got (laughs) interested in looking into Frank. Oh my gosh, Dr. Scott, just like people are going missing. And yeah. he's like, Where do they the all heck? keep going? I give them my address. They never show up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it could be one or the other mm-hmm. because he does seem surprised. Like, Brad, what? Uh huh. You know? But maybe he's just a great actor. I don't know. Yeah. Frank interrupts their handshake with the butt end of his whip. Don't play games, Dr. Scott. You know perfectly well what Brad Majors is doing here. It was part of your plan, was it not? That he and his female should check out the layout for you? Well, unfortunately for you all, the plans are to be changed. I hope you're adaptable, Dr. Scott. I know Brad is. He's such... A lady never kisses and tells. Frank, don't embarrass Brad in front of his high school teacher brad gets so embarrassed he like hides his face and turns away well also to not play it as lightly like brad was also just lured under false pretenses yeah. and it's not exactly cool to be casually joking about that with him five minutes after it happened yeah 
like Brad's still processing every minute of this night. Which could also include, and very possibly could include, sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Frank brings Dr. Scott straight into his secret lab with, like, as bare minimum gating as possible. And he also talks about the human species objectively. He's like, the female. Brad and his female. When So he's saying all the plans are to be changed. Do you think this is when he decides, like, we're just going to take the ship back? I think that once he sees Dr. Scott on the monitor, he's like, well, it's all fucked now. <laughs> I guess we're going back. Well, that's interesting because if he's like, just get him on board, we're going to take the whole ship back. Mm -hmm. And if he wants to observe us, he can observe us as much as he likes on our planet. Yep. And sucks for him for getting caught up in all of this. Because if he lets Dr. Scott stay there, then Dr. Scott can report back to the government, his people, whatever. Right. So he's like, we're out, I guess. Goodbye. I can assure you that Brad's presence here comes as a complete surprise to me. I came here to find Eddie. Eddie? I've seen him. He's... <gasps> what do you know of Eddie, Dr. Scott? He responds, I happen to know a great deal about a lot of things. You see, Eddie happens to be my nephew. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like, you mean Meatloaf, who we were excited to see in the movie, and then showed up, and then got killed, and wasn't in the movie anymore, and He's was only tied in, back in for like three minutes. Oh yeah, we're talking about him again? And he's your nephew? Oh my gosh, what? Like, it's so... <laughs> bonkers? Bonkers, because Dr. Scott lets Frank totally put his foot in his mouth. He does his whole long speech about how he knows that this is all about being secretly observed. And then Dr. Scott just kind of, like, waits for his opportunity <laughs> to, like, you know, reverse Uno card <laughs> that change of plans on Frank that's, like, you think there's a change of plans. You don't even know what I'm about to reveal to you right now. And I love that Frank stops him because Brad is pointing at the deep freeze. He goes like, oh, I've seen him. He's right in there. Like, I just saw him. Yeah. Do Brad and Janet know Eddie? No. You don't think they know Eddie at all? I don't think they know him. Okay. Because when he comes out, there's no like, oh, there's that guy I know. It's just like, ooh, music. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless they're like caught off guard by the spectacle and are like, he looks kind of familiar, but I don't really know what I know him from. Because he's enough of a a distant connection that it's like, do we know that guy? I don't know if we know that guy. I think, though, that if it would have been an, oh, shit, that's where I know him from, then it would have been more, like, referenced in this. Whereas it's just Eddie. Oh, I've seen him. He's, as opposed to, like, Eddie? Oh, yeah, Eddie. Oh, right, your nephew, Eddie, that I've met before. Right, it's yeah. more like, 
I recognize that name. Yeah. Because, okay, I love... That is why Columbia needs to scream Eddie's name at the beginning of Hot Patootie, because... There would be no other way for Brad to connect Dr. Scott and Any of us. Any of us. Sitting in the audience, watching it for the first time, we would have no idea who they're talking about. This setup is like a total soap opera, like, dramatic reveal where everyone waits and then the, like, the surprise entry at, like, five minutes before the soap opera comes in and is like, dun, dun, dun! That's the Eddie's My Nephew reveal. Yes. Because Frank is caught off guard. He takes the magnet off because, oh, no. Oh, no, I didn't think about that humans have family members. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even think about the repercussions of Eddie never leaving the castle again. I never thought someone would come looking for him. You know? As As Frank bangs on the control panel to release Dr. Scott, a stifled gasp is heard from the direction of the tank. (laughs) And we know it's Janet. Does Frank suspect that it's anybody else? Does he think Columbia could be in the tank? I don't think that he knows at all who it is. Mm -mm. For all he knows, Rocky could have a woman's voice. (laughs) He spent all of, what, ten minutes with Rocky? He doesn't know anything about him. I just love the idea of Rocky. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. But then, okay, is Janet reacting? I think she is so shocked to hear that Eddie is Dr. Scott's nephew, and she knows that he just got murdered, that she can't help but be surprised and reveal their location. Brad doesn't even notice it, though because he's still in shock at the fact that Dr. Scott is sitting in front of him. He just kind of, like, shakes his head incredulously. And goes, Dr. Scott. Like, it was so long ago that he was even thinking about seeing him. And it was so (laughs) long ago that he was even thinking of driving to his house. I can't believe I'm looking at you right now, man. (laughs) And the camera pans as Frank crosses the screen, peers into the tank, and outraged, pulls back the red sheet to reveal Janet and Rocky, who stand in the tank and cover themselves. (laughs) And Rocky Horror Roll Call! (laughs) Everybody's favorite part of the movie. Well, it's it's what I was saying earlier as definitely the most identifiable part of the film, because it's a trope namer. It literally created its own trope. Yeah. It tends to happen when, you know, four or more characters cross paths unexpectedly. It's also a, a spin of the Say My Name trope where the emotion is so overwhelming that whatever the emotion is, you are absolutely speechless to where all you can exclaim is the person's name. Like, you were so shocked. <laughs> this moment has been spoofed. Uh, we're just going to give you a smattering of examples in Shrek 2, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, We're the Millers, Thor the Dark World, Big Bang Theory, Scrubs, Seinfeld, Ned's Declassified, How I Met Your Mother, Hello Dolly, Family Guy, SpongeBob Did It Twice, 
and Phineas and Ferb, because they also just reference so much Rocky Horror. And if you're still confused on what we mean by Rocky Roll Call, here it is. Janet. Dr. Scott. Janet. Brad. Rocky. <gasps> Janet. Dr. Scott. Janet. Brad. Rocky. <gasps> Janet. Dr. Scott. Janet. Brad. Rocky. <laughs> they do it not once. Not twice. But three times. <laughs> and it is exactly the, like, comedic break that we need after all of the insanity that has occurred. We are, like, <laughs> it's it breaks the tension in a way that, like, the movie is itself not taking itself too seriously in this moment. Because, yeah, the second time it happens, and then it does it a third time, and it allows the audience to, like... Laugh with them. Giggle with them. Yeah. When every other joke, I feel like, is, like, you blink and miss it, or it's, like, a setup. This one is, like, intended to be, like, ha-ha. Mm-hmm. They're saying the same thing over and over <laughs> again, but it's a little different each time. Like, I think Janet first goes from, oh my gosh, Dr. Scott, you're here... To then being like, oh shit, I'm naked in front of my high school teacher. <laughs> to then being like, oh shit, he said he was here for Eddie. <laughs> and also she's having to deal with Brad, who's like, how Jared. dare you? I can't believe I'm looking at you and you're just standing there with him. And you're not getting out of the tank and you're not coming over to me. Like, what the heck, Janet? And she too is just like, Brad, it doesn't look... It, it's not what it looks like, but it's actually exactly what it looks like. <laughs> and also, no, f screw you. I saw you hooking up with Frank. Like, she's just as upset with him yes. in this moment. Frank is just upset that Rocky is not giving him all of the attention in the world. And that he hooked up with Janet. Rocky is so glad that he doesn't have to talk right now. <laughs> he just needs to do a really angry look at Frank. Because he's mad. And Frank responds to Rocky by saying, Listen, I made you, and I can break you just as easily. And Rocky is frightened enough by that that he, like, separates himself from Janet, comes closer to, to Frank, because he then remembers, oh yeah, Eddie got murdered earlier, and Frank has a temper and weapons available. So... I should probably side myself with that guy. Yes. We get a really good, clear view of Frank's motorcycle jacket. Yes. All of the pins and patches and buttons are... They're like retro motorcycle club affiliations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are not being produced anymore and are very, very difficult to find if not impossible to find. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have a ton of people in the community that are making reproductions of them. On like Etsy and stuff. On Etsy or even just selling through Facebook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you are looking for stuff like that, if you are just a fan, if you're a shadow caster, head to one of the fan groups or the shadow casters groups and just kind of inquire in there because I'm sure that somebody would love to point you in the right direction but also i think that this jacket 
is a great way to put your own personal spin on Frank. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be a motorcycle jacket. Mm-hmm. I've seen people put the uh, anti-social social club patch oh, yeah. on it. And, like, a bunch of, like, their own things. Like if, or, like, modern punk pins and patches and buttons. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen people put, like, instead of the uh, Union Jack on the back, they'll put, like the pansexual flag or whatever like Mm -hmm. put your own spin on it because that's what makes frank and you merge into one person yeah i think it's definitely a really good way to express creativity i also think it's like a miss like someone just needs to jump on the ball of not mass producing (laughs) the buttons and pins and patches but, like, coming up with a pack, I am not a, a, like, you know, I don't make buttons and pins and patches. But for someone whose talent that is, could come up with a package of all of Frank's jacket stuff and sell it for, like, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 200 whatever, bucks. however much it would be worth for you to make and produce and yeah. whatever. But how nice would it be to, like go on Etsy, be like, great, a package of all of Frank's stuff so I can put it on the, the leather jacket. Oh, It would be really nice. Yeah. So, so convenient. I, I don't know who how you make patches and pins, but someone who does that should... It, <laughs> it's just missing in the market. It's going to happen eventually. <laughs> someone just needs to make it first. Then we all get startled by... A gong noise ringing out from Magenta, who's at the top of the ramp. She's also come through the burst door hole. <laughs> Everyone reacts. Everyone gets break broken out of that rocky roll call. The tension is released. Magenta announces, Master, dinner is prepared. Or is dinner papayas? <laughs> he says it, and it definitely sounds like dinner is papayas. <laughs> and she helped. <laughs> and this is a reference to the rank organization logo, which is a like statuesque Greek man hitting a gong. Famous film production studio that Richard O'Brien and Jim Sharman wanted to make sure they paid homage to. Mm-hmm. Frank... It's like exasperated because now all of this is happening at once. (laughs) He doesn't even have a a second to like think through his plan, but then he kind of realizes like, okay, I have a little bit more time. If we're going to have dinner, I can think about it over dinner and then I can proceed with the new plan that I'm kind of planning out because he says, excellent. He looks at Janet and Rocky and says, under the circumstances, formal dress is to be optional and storms away. There's a really interesting, fun cut line here. In the middle between excellent and under the circumstances, Frank would say, Dr. Scott, you can sample the specialty of the house, roast loin of pork. I understand why it was cut, because it is confusing. 
Yes. Why does why is he telling Doctor Scott anything? I like that Eddie gets revealed to At be dinner, yeah. and then you're like, when did that get referenced to? <laughs> and it doesn't it because doesn't. it doesn't need to. Like, it gets referenced enough. There's enough like double entendres in the dinner scene that we don't need Frank to preemptively introduce. Yeah. That like, oh, Doctor Scott, guess what's for dinner? But yeah, I also love that Doctor or that Frankenfurter is like formal dresses to be optional. He hasn't given them any real clothing to put on. <laughs> like he took off all of their clothes the second they got there. Put them who knows where. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows where? And Brad's still in his robe and like it's not just Janet who is going to be showing up virtually naked. So is Rocky. So is Brad. Like it's a good thing that he's not requiring a black tie option for this dinner (laughs) janet pulls the red cloth around her rearranging herself as frank moves off screen janet and rocky exchange concerned glances and and that's it that's where we wrap up (laughs) i was so excited to talk about tetra this week and i can't wait until next episode So be sure to follow us on our social media. We have our Instagram at Time Warp Radio. On Facebook, you can find us Time Warp Radio Podcast. All of our resources and so many like ridiculous fun videos we put on our blog, timewarpradio.blogspot.com. If you're a Twitter person, you can uh, teach us how to Twitter. We are very new and we don't really understand the platform so sorry but also help (laughs) we are time warp rad pod on twitter and thanks so much for listening we love you guys and And don't forget on on wednesdays Wednesdays, we we watch rocky Rocky. bye bye please don't forget to rate review and subscribe it really helps us out and we appreciate all your feedback we'll see you next time Mm -hmm.